0: Hey, now we are getting over, and I am the Silver King Adam Silverstein here to lead you through these hard times with your 2024 WWE Elimination Chamber Ultimate Preview Edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again, and we have an absolute ton to get to on today's show as we break down. Everything that happened over the last week in the world of WWE and provide you with an ultimate preview for the second premium live event of 2024, Elimination Chamber, emanating from Perth, Australia. The Silver King is here. Vintage Chris Vanini will be along for the ride momentarily, but we need to kick off this show as we always do with a reminder straight off the top that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is on about defy. So please folks, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King for vintage. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. And wouldn't you know it, we got two more five-star reviews over the last week. The first one, Coming from I Awesome Z, hey yo, that's his headline, five stars. I started listening during the CM Punk firing to figure out what the hell happened, even though I am a WWE-only fan and I never looked back. Their comprehensive analysis, opinion, and theory are very entertaining and fun to listen to. Silver King and Vintage are very likable and come off as real wrestling fans that don't just overly complain about everything. I am stationed overseas, and it is very difficult to watch raw, their in-depth analysis and breakdown of each segment is the next best thing when I can't watch, keep it up. That is a fantastic, dare I say, Awesome Z review from you, I Awesome Z. We greatly appreciate it. And yes, hey yo, to you as well. We also got a five-star review from Brandon Hartzell, short and sweet, five stars. Been listening to y'all's podcast for a year now, and I hands down believe y'all have the best wrestling podcast around. I love how y'all break things down with a zero bias opinion. Keep up the great work. My question is, where's Brandon from? Because that's three y'alls dropped in a single review, Chris. Is that Alabama, Texas, Nebraska? Like, what are we talking about? Uh, I mean, I'm in Texas here. My wife picked up y'all
1: pretty quickly. She She says it on the regular now. I don't. I still have the the midwest basic non-accent accent accent, i i think Mm -hmm. um but my i've seen people pick up the various dialects so that could be anywhere but
0: but texas would make sense texas oklahoma area i think probably makes the most sense but that's very curious we're just messing with you brandon thank you so much uh, for that review to both of you let me make it extremely clear we acknowledge you acknowledge acknowledge big acknowledgement right there acknowledge Please don't forget to give us a follow on Twitter at gettingovercast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. And given this is a week around a premium live event or a pay-per-view, we will also have pre and post-show polls for you on Twitter. We're gonna post the pre-show poll for Elimination Chamber this week immediately after SmackDown on Friday night, simply due to the timing of everything with Elimination Chamber beginning at 5 a.m. Eastern in Australia. We don't expect anyone to wake up at 4 a.m. just to vote in the poll. So we'll have that for you Friday night and on our Twitter account at Getting Overcast is where you can send us questions, comments, thoughts, and we will consider them and certainly read some of them on the show. And I promised you all last week, I was finally gonna get to all the DMs and tweets. The Silver King stopped lying to you. I read through... Everything that we were sent from like late January all the way up until now, I responded to a bunch of you via DM, a couple of you via tweet, and we included some in the show today. So listen for that. We appreciate all the interaction. I promise you, we are not overlooking it. Again, all of it by following us on Twitter at Overcast, And you can also email us if you have questions or comments, but you really don't want to have Twitter. You can do that gettingoverpod at gmail.com. And quickly, let me also get in a reminder that on this show and really throughout my entire life. I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well, because for $5 a month or 50 for the entire year, you can become an official Getting Overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash over, sign up. You will get bonus audio, the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling, instant reactions to Raw, NXT, Dynamite, and SmackDown every single week. This week for free, whether you're a subscriber or not, you will get a free WWE Elimination Chamber Go Home Show coming out of the taped SmackDown on Friday night, so you don't want to miss that. To get it's a way to taste the Buy Me a Coffee page without actually paying for it, and we hope you guys do listen to that. But you also get exclusive news posts pretty much every single Friday all year long. We missed this past week; the Silver King was busy, and honestly, we didn't have much news to share with you. So, first time we've skipped in like probably six or seven months. Nevertheless. We are all on top of it with the instant reactions and with the exclusive news, and we are picking up subscribers at maybe the fastest rate we've had since we've opened the Buy Me A Coffee. I want to shout out our newest, Chris D., who just recently joined up. He sent us a comment. You guys are awesome. A plus podcast. Chris, you are awesome for subscribing to us on buymeacoffee.com slash getting over, and we acknowledge you. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement right there. All right, that was a lot to get through to kick off this show, Chris. I do wanna also give everyone a scheduling reminder of what's gonna come here on Getting Over This Week. As noted, this right here today is your WWE Elimination Chamber Ultimate Preview. We'll be back on Thursday with your NXT and AEW show. And then Saturday morning, as soon as Elimination Chamber goes off the air, we will have your WWE Elimination Chamber Instant Analysis Podcast. And let me also remind you, in case you missed it, we presented a special Friday episode for you last week, WWE interviews with Seth Rollins, Chad Gable, Gunther, Bronson Reed, Jade Cargill, Alpha Academy. Uh, You don't want to miss that show. Yes, I did note on that show, the audio quality, best I could possibly do. Uh, But you hear pretty much all of those interviews and I got some great comments about them, so I'm glad that those of you who have already listened enjoy them. And if any of you missed the episode, make sure you go back, listen to it at some point before we get to Elimination Chamber on Saturday. Chris, all right. That was a lot for me. How the hell was your week?
1: It's It's been a busy week. College football never stops, obviously, with our jobs, despite it being more than a month into the offseason. <laughs> um And look, we got The Rock on SmackDown in a huge moment we'll talk about. We We got a Raw that was pretty good. I thought we're in this weird spot where it's a go home for Elimination Chamber, but we're almost building for WrestleMania more than Elimination Chamber. But it feels like once we get past this weekend, we are fully, completely WrestleMania focused. And I think things will continue to pick up.
0: Yeah, it feels to me like WWE almost had the recognition that coming out of the Royal Rumble, they were so focused on WrestleMania and not that focused on Elimination Chamber that they kind of made some tweaks over the last you know two weeks, I would say, and have begun building more for Chamber. I think one of the reasons that happened is simply what happened with The Rock and the controversy surrounding Cody Rhodes because if they didn't have to spend so much TV time talking about we want Cody and all those types of things, then the build for Elimination Chamber likely would have started sooner, also impacting this show. And look, we're just going to be candid about it, okay? Seth Rollins, injured. CM Punk, injured. Cody Rhodes, not wrestling. Roman Reigns and The Rock, not appearing. So you have this big stadium show coming up in Perth, Australia, and I'm still excited for it. I still think the card is pretty damn solid. Oh, by the way, Gunther can't travel over there. So you can't even have an Intercontinental Championship match over there if you wanted to. They gave it to us on Raw. I bet you that would have been on the show if he didn't have the travel restriction due to his visa. Mm -hmm. But you have this show that's been built. And I love Elimination Chamber. I like the gimmick matches. They are star studded. They probably have the two chamber matches with the 10 biggest names or 12 biggest names that I can remember being on a single card. There's no filler in these matches. And yet, it kind of feels like it's a B-level show.
1: Yeah, and it's a B-level stadium show internationally mm-hmm. at a weird time. Mm-hmm. So it, it it's all a little bit kind of weird. It, and I mean, you mentioned CM Punk's injury. I mean, w- one of these Elimination Chamber matches was not supposed to be exactly what it is. Right. You know, it, 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 so we were going to get Seth Rollins-CM Punk, presumably, so they had to change it. Uh, Perhaps it was a U.S. title Logan Paul thing. Uh, So, yeah, they've had to change some things on the fly. Does feel like a B-level show. But the show between Royal Rumble and WrestleMania kind of always is, and it's hard to make it feel like a big thing. Sometimes you get Sammy in Montreal. I mean, I was going
0: to say, last year was not a B-level show at all.
1: Sometimes you get Eddie Guerrero beating Brock Lesnar, but it's few and far between, and this is back to, I think, a, a normal year where it's um, more about filling some spots than something happening. But Yeah,
0: it it's just yeah. expectations were raised so much by Elimination Chamber in Montreal last year, and that's probably why they were able to sell this show as a mm-hmm. stadium show in Perth on the back of last year. And then you get to it, and it's not, it's, it's really not their fault. Again, CM Punk was supposed to win Elimination Chamber. That was going to be a massive moment with a major star. I'm quite sure if Seth Rollins was healthy, he would have defended the title on this show, right? But like Io Sky and Bailey, nowhere to be found. EO's not defending the title. Uh, Roman Reigns, your biggest champion, The Rock, you you know, this biggest person is in the company right now that's just recently come back. Nothing's happening. Cody Rhodes, not having a match at all. He was probably supposed to fight someone that's involved in Elimination Chamber, maybe Drew McIntyre or something like that. And we're, what we're left with is a show that is two chamber matches, Rhea Ripley in a match that, I'm not saying people don't want to see it, But it's certainly not Rhea Ripley-Becky Lynch, you know, or Rhea Ripley-Bianca Belair, or like a big-time headliner match. And then a tag team match, that seems very much like it would be a TV match. So it just feels like we're coming into it, and we're going to get to the uh, ultimate preview later in the show. It'll be the second-to-last segment, the penultimate segment of the show. But it feels like we're going to go into that saying, hey, you know what? This is kind of a B-level show, and what happens, Chris, when WWE seems to be giving us a show like that? It completely Over delivers almost every single time. Yes, it does. So we will see. We will see indeed. Now, normally this is the part of the show where I would tell you, I'm afraid we've got some news, but this week we really don't have news. We do have a couple topics though to discuss before we get into the WWE of it all this week. There was a crazy take flying around the internet over the last week about WWE obviously having no plans for Jade Cargill and only signing her to get a win over AEW. The idea being that she's neither in the Elimination Chamber match, nor has she wrestled since Royal Rumble. I just don't know where people come up with this stuff. They've made a massive deal about Jade's arrival. They had her dominate in the Rumble and eliminate Nia Jax, who's been built up as pretty much unbeatable. She's beaten Becky Lynch and won multiple segments, you know, that they weren't actually matches, but brawls and such with Rhea Ripley and really the rest of the Raw women's division. And my guess is they didn't want to put Jade inside the chamber because they don't want her getting pinned given she's not the winner of the entire thing, not the planned winner of the entire thing. Do I agree that she probably should have wrestled or cut an in-ring promo or something by now? Absolutely. But in kayfabe, She's not even signed to a brand yet. Don't forget that. It feels like this delay is completely purposeful, but to suggest WWE has no plans for Jade Cargill after the introduction they've given her, I mean, that is just insanity. Get a life, kid.
1: Well, I mean, I'm not going to say they didn't have plans because clearly everything they did in the Rumble was planned and went well, but I would say everything they've done since then has been garbage,
0: they're We've delaying or what they're waiting.
1: We've seen her. What twice? Both backstage. Haven't had her in front of a crowd uh since the rumble. I'm not saying they blew it. I'm not saying they can't get it right. I just feel like it's been disappointing. And
0: yes, but that's different than of, them not of, having plans for her and not, not being all in sure. with her. They're, I, I they're I all just, in with her.
1: Saying, Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying it's not it's not out of line to criticize what they've been doing. Oh, no,
0: because you gave
1: her you gave us this big moment and failed to capitalize on that uh, on that moment. That was arguably the biggest to some people, I'm sure the biggest, most interesting moment of the show and just followed up with nothing. And I'm sure they've got plans and other stuff. So it has been disappointing thus far. I'm, I'm sure they'll have something. But it's it's been frustrating. Yeah, they're I, I not. that was something.
0: They're not without criticism. I mean, you can criticize it all you want. The fact that they haven't capitalized on her. We talked about it on the show. They didn't capitalize really on Andrade, Alitalo, or Naomi right away either. Yep. We, we're still here. Like Naomi, it took her three weeks to wrestle. She, three yep. weeks to get in front of the crowd, you know, even. She was doing backstage segments and wasn't even on TV. And you're like, wait, Naomi's return was super hot. She should have been in, in the ring with a promo, if not the following Monday, at the very least, the following Friday. But they didn't do that because they decided to do the signing segment and all those types of things. So it's one thing to criticize Booking's ability to capitalize on momentum coming out of Royal Rumble. But to suggest that there's no plans for Jade is ridiculous. They have plans. They just maybe aren't executing them as well as we wish they would have. Or executing them at all because they haven't already started. Right, exactly. Uh, Let's move over to... UFC lightweight Michael Chandler, he's a three-time Bellator champion, by the way. Uh, He's put on some great fights in UFC. I don't think he's ever won a title there. He was randomly given a microphone by Samantha Irvin on Raw Monday night. So Chandler goes, cuts a whole promo, calls out Conor McGregor for a fight in the octagon, and then he posts on Twitter suggesting that he signed something. There's a picture of him in that tweet with Triple H pointing at him, which generally means that he signed to WWE, but Triple H didn't tweet that, meaning originally from his account, which he normally does when there's a signing or a title change or something like that. I don't know what's going on. Credit to Chandler for cutting a pretty good promo. He's a known talker in UFC. This is definitely, Chris, the most significant WWE-UFC crossover we've seen since the TKO merger. I found it to be interesting, slightly entertaining, but it also struck me as kind of random. I cannot imagine two WWE superstars setting up a fight at a UFC pay-per-view. That's just not going to happen. Uh, it could not work the same way. I 100
1: percent think that can and will happen. Oh man, at some point. we'll get some match set up because of a UFC. We, we've had matches set up through social media and all the stuff all the, I know, but that's happen. real sports. I mean, that's it's different. So my first reaction to this was, first off, good promo like you said yeah. Th- like this was followed by like Ivar and Gable I think doing individual promos and this one was way better though <laughs> so, just cuz it was energy and yelling and I like that stuff um calling out Conor McGregor interesting I don't follow UFC that closely so I don't know if McGregor's coming back or not I'm sure Endeavor and WWE and UFC would love to get him
0: involved that'd be that'd be huge The long um, and short answer on that is they've been trying to set up this fight for a while McGregor's not really motivated to do it and there therefore it hasn't
1: happened. So maybe putting him on WWE television is another incentive for McGregor to, to do something. I think that was him. the
0: idea to put a little
1: bit more yeah. pressure on him. Yeah. My my other thought was it it wasn't just corporate synergy with UFC and WWE because they also showed oh man, yeah. a professional a professional bull rider. PBR is owned by Endeavor mm-hmm. as well. Uh, they had the Netflix people behind the the Commentary They're in Anaheim, they're in LA, so it it, they really kind of got everybody. They announced Jelly Roll's
0: tickets were going on sale, I think, for a concert. I I wasn't paying too much attention for that, I probably should have been. But Jelly Roll was there again, and they're like, or or maybe he wasn't there, but they did a whole advertorial for him during the Mm -hmm. show that his tickets are going on sale. It's such a big deal. They showed clips of him, you know, with Randy Orton and whatever happened a couple weeks ago. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and by the way, WWE and UFC, TKO really, announced something about they're gonna do three events a year guaranteed in Anaheim. I think it's what is it called? The Honda Center. Um yes. every single year. Now they didn't say whether it's two WWE, one UFC. I think it's just three total in whatever you know combination. Um, but I didn't realize, and dude, maybe I'm was just blinded to it or whatever. I didn't realize Anaheim was such a hot market, specifically. I mean, I know LA is and I know Anaheim's not far, but I Raw was sold out Monday night. It was jam-packed. The UFC event, I think, was sold out. If not, it was sold extremely well. But WWE did like 3,000, 3,500 more fans than last time they were there. And this was one of the best crowds, not just of the year, but of the last few years for a domestic you know, WWE show in the United States. Yeah, I mean, what?
1: There have been two WrestleManias there, WrestleMania 2000 and also... 13 or 12 the one where sean michaels came down from the top uh so i mean
0: like they've had a good relationship with that building for quite a while i just don't um, think of them as like a chicago or a detroit or a new york you know but no. they were as hot as any of those cities yeah no it was a great crowd and, and, and it makes sense to to do
1: that i still call it the arrowhead bond um but mm-hmm. yeah not i mean not only you have the Staples center which is its own thing. It's probably really expensive. It's downtown, but you also have that new Clippers arena opening in the area as well. So I'm sure Anaheim's been even more incentivized to try to get more of these deals locked in. Uh, you as would,
0: well and, and, and given the crowd you got last night, I think it's a good idea. Yeah. You would think that that would oversaturate the market, but I, I guess not. I mean, they must be confident enough based on ticket sales that they're going to sell out. And the fact that they did UFC and WWE, I think on the same weekend ish, Um, at the same venue and both sold extremely well. They must be confident they can accomplish something like this. I was going to save this for later, but let's just talk about it. We already said the Anaheim crowd was awesome. The Salt Lake City crowd on Friday at SmackDown was tremendous. It certainly helps that these are both major cities and WWE is on fire on the road to WrestleMania, but they were just consistently excellent across five hours of television. And that is really tough to do. I don't blame any crowd when like an hour three of Raw, they die down a little bit. And that did happen in the final 10 minutes of Raw on Monday night, but they were consistently hot for both shows. I have no idea how Salt Lake is going to be for the taped SmackDown, because that's going to be the go-home show this Friday. But day one listener, Arun Singh, he was on site. He said the shows flew by and Raw overall was straight up excellent. Every match was either very good or great. And I just think these last few weeks are the best stretch of Raw that we have had top to bottom in, I mean, years. I can't tell you how long, like when the hell has WWE had this type of quality on a week to week basis? Last year's road to WrestleMania, maybe. Yeah. I I mean, over the last year entirely, Raw has been solid. I mean, it won our brand of the year in the media. Sure. But I'm talking about specifically now, like it's one thing to enjoy the show, it's another thing to like be hyped up by it. I was hyped up Monday yeah. night. Yeah. I thought I thought this Monday was fine. I would have liked a bit more.
1: But Interesting. but okay. it, it, it is it, it it's also, you know, the rocks involved in its WrestleMania season. So everything's just up another notch. Sure. And so yeah, it's, it's it's been good. We we've said it for a while now, for a year now, the raw's been real solid. I couldn't tell you if it's better now than it was. Three months ago, specifically, because couldn't tell you what happened, but but I can. To be- you know
0: how you know how I can tell you it is because it didn't start
1: and end with Judgment Day. So I was thinking about that, and I think what I'm missing from Raw right now is what we got in that Judgment Day era, essentially, which was a story throughout the
0: show. We're not really getting that. Well, no, but this was also a go home show to a premium live event, so right. But different.
1: even even the last couple of weeks. You know, Cody's doing a couple things, but it's not like start the show with Cody and then there's a Cody story throughout and mm-hmm. then we get the main event or something like that. I think that's why the the last couple of Raws have had huge moments. Cody and Seth uh, last week, Cody and Punk a couple weeks before that. Um, but it, it there hasn't been as much of a through line to me. And I always prefer those Raws Absolutely. where there's a story told throughout. and. Just hadn't happened. You got a bunch of things going on. It's maybe a season. But um, when I think about the Judgment Day era, that's what, we got a lot of Judgment Day because they were continually throughout the show, which I don't think was a bad thing. It's just
0: different. No, that's true. I also think there was a missed opportunity to do that this week. And we can talk about that a little bit later when we fully break down the segments for the show itself. A couple of production items before we get into the main event and, of course, the rest of this episode. Uh, Chris, have you noticed the WWE 2K24 ratings? being put on screen at the start of not every match, I don't think, but many matches. So A, have you noticed it? And B, what are your thoughts on that? I've noticed it and I love it. I think it's really cool. I I like in,
1: in light of the recent announcements about EA sports, college football uh, coming back and, you know, thinking about what player ratings used to be back in the day, Mm -hmm. like James Laurinaitis, son of road warrior animal, Uh, (laughs) former Ohio state player, um, got promo- got uh, promoted to a job at Ohio State, and I, I referred to him as graduate assistant and former 99 overall in incidentally like football like 09 or whatever like that. And, and so they do the Madden reveal on ESPN when, when players get their things, and WWE social media for the last couple of, for the last week or so has been doing the reveals of the individual uh, yeah. rankings, and then the, the, the wrestlers reacting to them. I think that's a great tie into the game. Like one of the easiest, simplest tie-ins to the game that also helps your real-life presentation. If you don't know who somebody is, but you see, if you're a casual fan, you don't follow, pay attention. Mm-hmm. Oh, this guy's an '86. Like, I can anybody can understand that Did that that means that dude's pretty good. So I love it. I think it's a
0: great idea. Well, first of all, James Laurinaitis never had a rating in NCAA football. Ohio State '33 had a rating in NCAA football. Yes. So let's be very clear about that. I kind of disagree with you here. Um, Really? Yeah. If they're just doing it until March 5th, I guess when the game comes out for video game promotion, fine. But I really don't want to see this shit after that. Like, the ratings are generally poor. I mean, Logan Paul is rated higher than Drew McIntyre. And he has the same rating as Gunther, who's the longest reigning Intercontinental Championship of all time. And Gunther on his own is only a 90 when the guy should be I mean, I don't know what Roman Reigns is. I'm assuming 99. But Gunther should be like 95 at worst, and he's 90. And they also don't really fit into WWE's presentation whatsoever. Like, as long as this is only temporary, I can get over it and be fine with it on my screen. But I do not want to be watching like night one of WrestleMania and see Bailey come out with like an 88 and Eosky with a 92. And like, I don't, I don't want that. That doesn't enhance the presentation no. for me. I think it's no, dumb. No, no, no. I, I, you do it for a month.
1: You know, you do it when the game comes out and you do it for up till WrestleMania or something like that. By the way, I pulled them up. Roman Reigns is a 98, Bianca Belair a 95, uh, Rhea Ripley 96. Bianca Belair, who 90. hasn't had
0: a title in a year, is a 95. Gunther's a 90. Gunther, Gunther, like, 90, what are we doing?
1: Logan Paul, 90, Cody Rhodes, 93, and Jay Uso's a 90, and McIntyre an 89. So no, I, think wait, Jay's we, we can, I thought
0: Jay was an 89. He's a 90. Jay is a 90, okay.
1: according to this website. So I Jay's
0: think. the same rating as Gunther. Gunther's been champion all year. Jay's never held an uh, individual title. Look, they just had a pretty competitive match on <laughs> Raw, so I think that's pretty accurate. <laughs> In retrospect, I guess so, but this is over the last year that they do it. Regardless, my point is, it's just, it, it doesn't enhance it for me. I, it's fine short-term, like I said, for p- promoting the game, no problem. But I don't want this to be a, three months from now, I don't want this to be a regular part of WWE television.
1: No, honestly, that'd be something, instead of the, or even
0: tied into the AEW rankings, like, you could just do it like that. Yes, if they they did progressive individual numerical rankings all year and actively change them, then I'm talking different here. Because then you have R-Truth come out as like a 56, he beats... Damian Priest, who's an 84, and you're like, holy shit, that's a huge upset. And casual fans who are watching can know that's a huge upset. But that's only if they kept them updated all year.
1: No, I, I, that's why I think, like, honestly, it might work in AEW if, they do, if they're bringing back the If they, they did were. that, it know. would be
0: way better than their top five ranking system that they're currently doing. 100%. Yeah, I don't know. yeah a million times. Uh, we mentioned last week the darkened crowds and the barricade graphics. Monday during the opening match on Raw, it was the first time I actively saw them lower the lights as the bell rang and it created this awesome, really serious aesthetic, like coming out of the bright lights and pyro. That's a positive. And they also did a couple cool things. Um, They now have a camera that occasionally during tag team matches, they'll put, they'll have a cameraman jump on the apron and show from the corner, like someone trying to do a hot tag. I think that's pretty cool. And they did a moving camera, it might have been a drone, from outside the arena through a vom, showing the uh, sold-out Anaheim crowd, very similar to what they did for Backlash last year in Puerto Rico. I do have my first negative. My only negative so far, all these production changes, is they stacked up the normal on-screen graphics, like the opaque ones, uh, for Raw, in the upper right-hand corner. Like WWE logo, USA Network logo live, and hashtag WWE Raw. It took up way too much like screen real estate for me. Other than that, everything they're doing from a production standpoint has been immensely positive. The logo stuff I was mixed on because yes, it was too
1: much in the corner, but also the upper right corner is always the corner. Like you just look at the least naturally in anything. And so it did kind of tuck it away and make the rest of the shot cleaner. So I don't know, I'm going to need maybe a couple more weeks if they continue it to see how I like it or not. Um, it it made, you know, I, I never care for the hashtag that they put up in the upper left corner. So tucking that on the right side, making it tiny, like I was okay with that. I, I don't know. As it relates to the lighting in the arena, I have always been not a fan of the I don't know if it's a trend, but but the way a lot of places do it now, Madison Square Garden famously does it, where everything is dark and the stage, the the floor, the arena is lit. Mm-hmm. And I get the idea of it, but I I don't like that. I like to see crowd reactions. I loved you can. Attitude Era where the entire arena was lit up. And so something would happen and you could see fans in the background react to it. Um, I've always just been a bigger fan of that than the kind of spotlight type of thing i know a lot of people like the spotlight thing
0: it's just a aesthetic thing i don't prefer well first of all the crowds are darkened like when the matches are happening but you can still see them react very easily i mean it's just not bright lights the the issue was the the red and blue lights in the crowd where like one spot would be you could see them and then the rest would be dark by comparison this is now consistent Mm -hmm. across the board but when fans are popping they're popping i mean I don't, I didn't see a situation where like I couldn't see them react during matches.
1: Yeah. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll have to take a closer look at it, but, but it is, it was noticeable. Like you just, it's background lighting, you know, mm-hmm. and it just, it does create a different feel
0: for sure. Yeah. righty. Well, look, we have a loaded show for you today. I know we've already discussed the time right off the top here, but we have the good, the bad and the ugly. We have your WWE elimination chamber, ultimate preview. And the last word, all still to come on today's show, but you know how we do here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We kick things off by sliding into the main event. This is the main event. And this is going to be a singular main event, of course. The overarching Roman Reigns, Rock, Cody Rhodes, Seth Rollins storyline really picked up in some ways Friday night on SmackDown. So you had Reigns and Paul Heyman arrived before the show. They stepped out of a black SUV. Roman gave Jimmy Uso a huge hug with a big smile on his face, saying it was time to fix everything. Jimmy was confused, but quickly thrilled because Reigns was showing him affection. And he starts bouncing around behind him, all excited like a little kid. Solus Co was stoic like usual. Reigns came out in the main event saying, the people of Utah collectively are idiots because everything the bloodline says has purpose and meaning. I want you to remember that. Everything they say, has purpose and meaning. He said they were about to witness history and the greatest night in WWE. Fans started drowning him out with Cody chants. Roman said, yeah, that guy ruined everything, but they would fix it. Reigns officially stated The Rock is a member of the bloodline. His music hit, but he purposefully delayed entering until he emerged in a Versace vest and sunglasses with two diamond chains, full heel rock with the callback look. He was labeled the People's Champion multiple times on the show. Rock got a mix of booze and cheers, mostly booze. He said they broke an indoor attendance record for the entire state of Utah, 11,000 people, the largest gathering of trailer park trash in state history, amazing. Then he said, finally, their life has meaning, finally. The fans, their 50 wives and 500 inbred grandchildren will have a story to tell. He started getting Rocky chants after that, like face chants. Rock said, the people have brought out a side of him that has been dormant for years because they had the biggest main event in WrestleMania history in their hands and they just flushed it down the toilet. Rock compared Cody not finishing his story to the San Francisco 49ers losing the Super Bowl saying they didn't cry after the game. They moved on like men. Then he got some cheap heat talking about Michael Jordan, the Chicago Bulls and the Utah Jazz calling the fans spoiled entitled little crybaby bitches. Rock seemed to say he would do everything in his power to make sure Cody walks out of WrestleMania the loser he is. He claimed Cody's story is just ending while his and Reigns' is just beginning as the most dominant duo in the history of WWE and entertainment. And then he closed with, quote, if you smell what the bloodline is cooking and everyone held up the ones, but Rock had his thumb out too. and We're gonna circle back to that in a moment. Chris, look, there was a lot of good here. There's some frustration as well, I would say. And all of that is somewhat surface level. So let's start there. For such a heavily promoted segment, nothing actually happened. Like I thought The Rock would dig into the Paul Levesque stuff coming out of the WrestleMania kickoff. I thought he and Roman would be more specific about Cody and Seth, maybe building to a match. Instead, it was more of just a showcase for Rock's new heel persona. And that's not the end of the world because that was accomplished. It's not Hollywood rock. It's not corporate rock. This is bloodline rock. It's a different guy. But the primary point of his promo did not totally land. Here's why. Using the 49ers, they lost a few years ago in the Super Bowl. So what did they do? They won their way back into the Super Bowl and earned another title shot. Well, guess what? That's exactly what Cody did. He won his way back into the main event of WrestleMania. The way Rock positioned it was if like Tom Brady went to Roger Goodell and said, you know what, fuck Brock Purdy, I'm starting the Super Bowl, which is precisely what The Rock tried to do to Cody in reality. So the entire promo concept was a little off, and I know what some of you are thinking out there. Wait a minute, Silver King, you always say heels don't need to follow perfect logic, which is part of what makes them heels. That is absolutely true. However... As Chris and I also say, the best deals are logical. And since that comparison was the basis of Rock's promo and like 50% of the overall segment, then yes, in that specific case, when it's the crux of a promo and a building block for an immensely important storyline, in an ideal world, it should be logical. So I completely understand that Rock sees himself as bigger than the Royal Rumble but it doesn't change Cody's legitimate kayfabe accomplishment. The way this would have worked better is if it was like a confrontation segment and Cody was able to shoot back about the 49ers and Jazz earning more chances, which they both did. And then Rock could have said, and just like them, you'll lose a second time. That's how you play it all the way out. Now, Chris, if we put that aside, this was awesome. This felt like The Rock, not Dwayne Johnson playing the rock. And it was so refreshing. The way he snapped back into the heel persona that was effortless, the look with the Versace and the glasses and the chains, perfect. Surprised they didn't go with the Hollywood rock theme or throw some of Rain's like succession elements into rock's theme, but he cooked on the mic and his best moment, I didn't even mention it yet. It was when he improvised. A fan was taunting him. He said, shut your mouth fatty or I'll come knock the herpes off your lip. Unhinged. And it was great how the crowd was just as mixed on him as it was during his original heel runs, where they know they should boo him and they wanna boo him, but also he makes them laugh, so they cheer for him. One of our listeners, Wizard Kelly at CKM11, he made a salient point. He basically wrote, there's no need to be too positive or too negative on any given segment, because there's still two months before WrestleMania. Just enjoy the ride. And I think that is a great reminder that WWE probably did not want to go too deep off the bat, which would have even further overshadowed Elimination Chamber. I also think Rock was kind of just gearing up in the segment. He was feeling everything out as a full heel at the beginning, and then dude started cooking over the second half. This is a switch that the guy has not flipped in a long-ass time. You know what I mean? That is exactly what it is. And you could... You had a good line where it
1: felt like he was being the rock again and not playing the rock. Right. And that is the thing we have been missing for a while. He would do the catchphrases, do all the basic stuff, but he didn't feel like he was in it. This felt like he was in it. He had to tap into something that he has not tapped into in 20 years. And when he said trailer park trash, I got the goosebumps. I got the rock goosebumps. It has been so long since we heard that come out of his mouth and that felt like as much of a callback as the versace vests and everything it was was like he's pulling this back again and it felt like he was having so much fun doing it because he hasn't been able to do this in a very long time this is what we talked about last week where the rocks as a heel is going to be an awesome heel and we're gonna love it and he's gonna love it and it's a it's 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 a risk and something that he's needed to do as a character in all forms uh for a very long time. I think this will help him in Hollywood. I think this will help him everything he does now that we can see this side of the rock again. Yes, it didn't totally make logical sense. My wife watched this segment with me and she got upset. She said, "No, Cody won the Rumble. You can't say you were supposed to be in there." And I had to be like, "No, that's the point. He's delusional. That that is what he's trying to say. He feel like he deserves it cuz he's the rock cuz he's the biggest thing in, in the world." And so that's the that's the heel. That's why he's a heel. That that that's what he's doing that kind of stuff. Right. And and the Super Bowl point was forced it was timely, but the 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 easy thing to say in front of that crowd would have been, "What happened to the Jazz when they lost in 1997? Uh, they didn't cry about it. They didn't complain. They came back the next year and then got their ass kicked by Michael Jordan again. You know." And then yeah, no. The
0: crowd and well, started. well, you're you're there. It's because then you're saying, Cody, you did the same thing. You earned your way back. See, so what he should have yeah. said was basically. Just like the Jazz, Cody, if you get this chance again, you're just going to get your ass kicked again by our Michael Jordan, Roman Reigns. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. We, you don't even deserve that opportunity. I, I you know, I'm the rock. I, I'm i this, I'm that. So that's the way you play it. You relate it to those things and say, yeah, Cody, you won your way in. It doesn't matter that you won your way in. I'm the rock, you know? So, and, and if it wasn't for Paul Levesque, then I would be in this match and you wouldn't be, right? So like, that's how you you put it all together but instead like you just said it was a forced reference they were trying to yes. make it work cuz the super bowl just ended and they were coming off the the hotness of the kickoff on super bowl weekend and because of that it just it, it wasn't as tight as it should have been and it didn't make as much sense and it wasn't performed with as much logic as it could have been even with an illogical heel. So that's what I was trying to get across, yeah, where yeah. it wasn't bad, and like I understand- no, 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 I, no, I understand exactly, you know, why people have a lot of problems with it, and I had some problems. I would much rather, in a situation like this, with a storyline as hot as this, everything be as logical as it possibly can be, and because The Rock spent so much time talking about the 49ers and the Jazz, it needed to make more sense. If it was only a quip, if he spent 30 seconds on it and moved on, I wouldn't have even mentioned it. My I, I'm whatever.
1: I honestly it's a tiny thing. My only real complaint about this is that it was only 10 minutes. I want I want more. Right. I wanted more last. I wanted more last week. I want more out of Cody. I want more out of The Rock from this. But t- to the comment t- to the listener's point we got a month and a half still to go. There's Mm going to be a lot. We're going to get the confrontation. This was just setting the tone of the rocks, the heel. Now you're going to boo him. And I just, it makes me want more of it. And that's, that's what they want you to feel. That's what I feel.
0: Now I mentioned a moment ago, how this was some like surface level analysis of the segment. There might have been more to it below the surface. I say might because it feels kind of thin, but let's go ahead and discuss it first. And we saw this at the WrestleMania kickoff event, as well as on SmackDown this past Friday. Reigns has immediately fallen into this like second fiddle role behind Rock, even if he doesn't realize it. Go back and look at that segment on Friday. Rock is out there, sleeveless, jacked, chest exposed, two gold, or maybe they were uh, platinum, whatever, diamond chains, looking like a million bucks. Reigns is off to the side, looking like he just left his dorm room for some pizza. He's wearing black sweats and a t shirt. Besides that, there were a couple of elements of this segment, Chris, that may have been foreshadowing. Either that or I'm digging way too far into it. But just stay with me here, okay? So earlier in the promo, Rock looks at the crowd, but then also looks at the bloodline. And then he says, You don't understand that because you're spoiled, entitled little cry baby bitches. Obviously, we are to assume he's referring to Cody fans. Then he says, Cody Rhodes, The Rock is going to do everything in his power to make sure that you, when he says you, he turns and points directly at Roman, who has his head turned, doesn't see him, that you walk out of WrestleMania what you are, which is a loser. Now he addresses Cody, but again, he points to Roman. And then after that, He states that his and Reigns' story is just beginning. Now, we're supposed to think that's as a two-man power trip who's going to take over WWE, but it certainly could be a feud. And then, as I mentioned a bit ago, he didn't throw up the standard bloodline one at the end of the segment. His thumb is flared out, which creates an L and is the universal sign for loser, which again is what he may have called Reigns when he pointed him out moments earlier. So let's just assume that all of this is intentional, just for the sake of this conversation. That leads me to believe they might be setting up for Rock to thrust himself into that special guest enforcer role. We discussed that a couple of weeks ago. Count the one, two, three on Reigns, taking away his title, making him a loser, before eventually attempting to take the entire bloodline crown for himself particularly if they fail as a team in what may be a night one tag team match, they could have that match, lose, and then Rock says, yeah, this guy is a loser. I need to take him out and I need to save our family. So look, is this extrapolating? Yes. Was this foreshadowing? I cannot tell you for sure, but those are a lot of individual elements for a singular segment. And The Rock does not do things accidentally over his career and Triple H is known to insert a lot of little elements like that in promos and in storylines that they can call back to later. So, Chris, I'm posing the question to you: Is this a reach, or do you think we have something here? I I think it's possible. I kind of hope
1: that's not all true because I love the idea of Bloodline Rock and I'd like it to last for more than four weeks, or, you know, or something like that. Um, I think the I think the point. I think that was just an accident. I could be wrong, but I, I saw a lot of people jump on that. And my first thought was, well, think about the way Vince McMahon and Shane McMahon would do like thumbs up or a middle fingers. I'm sorry. Remember where like the thumb was out and the other fingers were there yeah. They wouldn't do the stone cold. I was like, maybe he just, maybe that's just how he did it. I, I don't
0: know. He doesn't so, know how to throw up a one in the air. And he puts up an L I instead. Even, Those are two very different hand gestures.
1: I, but like, if you physically do it, like your like your thumb kind of naturally just comes out. I, I no, it know.
0: doesn't. If you're holding up a one, I'm doing it right now, like while we're while we're talking. You hold up a one. Well,
1: like your thumb is kind of going. You gotta like hold that thumb in there. It's way. not I'm like sipping
0: naturally. tea, where like the pinky sometimes does automatically pop up. Like you have to actively try to put the thumb out if you're putting a L one or yeah, an L I, up I,
1: there. I'm just saying.
0: I mean, it's not. It's possible it's he messed possible. up. It's just possible he it, messed it, up totally.
1: It, it it is possible they are doing a bunch of Easter eggs. We you we remember the whole white rabbit stuff and all that kinds of stuff. So like I obviously would not put it past Triple H. I just don't want to think about it yet because I want to think about Rock Roman two man power trip for like a minute here <laughs> before I'm always, before I'm already booking the next thing because I think it's awesome and I think like you like we said last week, um, Roman is in danger of being overshadowed, mm-hmm. which is why you don't come out as the bloodline with rock there it's why you have roman come out on his own do his own promo and a bunch of stuff before the rock does his own thing i and I, I assume at some point they got to come out together um but yeah we're a couple weeks into this now and roman does feel like a bit of a background player so i don't know you know he's the rock He he's he he is what he is. It's it's hard not to be overshadowed by him, especially when you're with him and mm-hmm. not against him.
0: So But again, you're standing next to him, you're in a t shirt and sweatpants. He's in a Versace vest with yeah, diamond chains on and glass. I mean, just looking at them standing next to each other. And by the way, Reigns was grouped with Solo Sokoa and Jimmy Uso, and they're dressed very similar to him. So he didn't even stand out from the other duo. So I think yeah. I think that overshadowing aspect. Even if these weren't Easter eggs, that overshadowing aspect is something they can play into. And the ways it could play out are immensely interesting. Like Reigns progressively becoming more insecure of the Rock in the top role. Maybe Rock disrespecting him. Roman stands up and turns babyface. Basically, Roman getting a taste of his own medicine. What he did to Jey Uso is what I'm trying to say. Same general concept with Reigns turning on Rock. Then Rock goes into the babyface role for the next WrestleMania. The other option is them actually doing a two-man power trip, that's the other option that they can do. There's also, Chris, I'll let you get in here, a real interesting parallel between the bloodline and the nation of domination. Like Rock is presumably the last bloodline member unless WWE goes out and signs Jacob Fatu. But he was also the last nation member. That time, he was a neophyte. This time, he's the grizzled veteran. In both situations, his inclusion undermined the group's active leader, and created an inflection point potentially for its implosion happened with NOD could certainly happen now with bloodline.
1: Well, that's my thought. Like how often are we going to get rock and Roman together? And if you are, you can do segments like presenting a painting to the other one or or something like that. You know, like the, the Farouk thing Mm -hmm. Uh, you can do that. But if we're only going to have them four times, you know, until then, then, then you can't. So th- that's the question. How, how much can we go into that, that dynamic, which is why when we only really get 10 minutes of rock on a SmackDown, I'm like, I'd like to have a bit more. If he's right. there, if you're going through the entire effort to get him up to Salt Lake City, do a lot more because I'm assuming he won't be there every single week. If he is, that's great. But, but, but if he's not get as much out of this, As you can. and Tell a real real story between them from now until WrestleMania.
0: And that's why I was frustrated. I said it earlier, as much as I loved this segment, I was frustrated that there wasn't more to actually build to something for WrestleMania, whether they were mentioning Paul, Cody, Seth, whatever the case might be. It was much more about The Rock establishing his new persona, which again, was totally fine and was completely entertaining. But if you're only going to have him, let's say four or five times, then you need to maximize every single opportunity. And that brings me, good segue, to the go-home SmackDown. No one on site in Salt Lake City saw a segment with Reigns and Rock. Arun, I mentioned our listener, he was there. They didn't see anything live in the crowd. So if they do anything on this week's show, it's going to be completely backstage, which is fine, especially if you involve Paul Levesque. Great. Great. I just cannot see why WWE would have Reigns and Rock in town when they're doing a double taping and only use them once. We're going to find out Friday, but I just want to close with this on top of that. And I said it in some way last week, Chris, everyone involved here deserves major credit. They listened to the fans. They are now presenting a story that is likely far more interesting than either version of what was originally planned, the Cody storyline or the Rock storyline. It's really not that dissimilar from like Kofi Mania or The Man in that by the time this is all over, Cody might actually be even more over than we ever could have expected despite this elongated storyline. Oh,
1: totally. He he absolutely is on pace online to do that. Uh, if he beats Roman Reigns at this year's WrestleMania and The Rock is involved, Yeah. That's going to be bigger than anything you could have done otherwise. So um, whatever the path to get there, it's going to accomplish what they wanted to accomplish a year ago. And so, yeah, that works. I I just, you 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 mentioned Triple H. Um, It was interesting to have Triple H say what he said two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Then F Rock. No interaction as far as we know. These, these things are getting stretched out. You know, we we went we went uh, a week. We went to what? Almost two weeks after the rumble to kind of fix the the main event thing. They're they're kind of stringing things along here when I just want every week. I want something big to happen, you know, but 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 that's because they've set up a storyline that we are obsessed with that. We've been right. doing two and a half hour podcasts about for the past couple of weeks because it's that interesting
0: and fun and good. Um, I just hope we get enough out of it. Our most listened to string of non-instant analysis episodes, meaning coming out of pay-per-views and premium live events, ever. And I mean, by a significant margin, by like, I didn't do the math, but like 40% approximately more downloads and listens on these shows than we've had ever before. And it's significant when you are talking numbers like that. So uh, we love that you guys are into it. Certainly we're into it. And what WWE is giving us is certainly... Immensely entertaining. I just really hope they do something backstage on SmackDown this Friday. Them bumping into Triple H, very similar segment to what they did at WrestleMania kickoff. Something to move the storyline forward. I really don't want to go another week before we get more of Rock Reigns involved with Paul, Cody, Seth in some way. So- Yeah, like like, when do we we get Rock and Roman on Raw? When are we
1: gonna- Right. At some point, we're gonna have to get those guys every single episode for like several weeks, hoping going into mania. I hope, because if you
0: don't, I just really think that's a missed opportunity. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And the other thing that's interesting is, you know, we want them to spend a lot of time on this, but there's not a lot booked for WrestleMania. And maybe we'll talk about it if we have time at the end. If not, we'll do it next week. But in terms of matches that we can confidently predict for the show as of right now, because of all the changes with, you know, CM Punk and Brock Lesnar and some other things that happened. You know, it's like a handful right now and everything else is completely up in the air. And generally, when you're this close to WrestleMania, you can predict eight, nine, 10 matches. I think we're at like five, maybe six right now. And that does matter. That means there's a lot of storytelling that they need to do across both shows over the next 50 days. So with that, let's move off of SmackDown, Chris, to the second half of this main event, The other side of this storyline on Raw, we had Cody Rhodes and Drew McIntyre kick off the show with a singles match. Cody got immense chance. This might've been his loudest TV entrance ever. Seriously. Rhodes locked in a figure four early, hit a disaster kick later. The crowd was legitimately on fire for both of them, selling everything, a kick, a punch, whatever throughout the entire match. There was a pedigree, future shock, DDT, Pedigree double counter for Cody. McIntyre hit Glasgow kiss and a future shock DDT for a two point nine. Rhodes came back with a superplex and double jump Cody cutter. He pointed at the WrestleMania sign after the kickout. Picked up Drew when Jimmy Uso ran down to distract. Rhodes had McIntyre primed for crossroads, but Solo Sokoa hopped up for a Samoan spike on Cody. Pulled off the hood and Drew took advantage immediately with a claymore. Six cell by Cody as Michael Cole called him a hypocrite. Drew on commentary. Jimmy also held his hand out for like 90 seconds with solo completely ignoring him and refusing to dap him up as they walked backstage. So let me get a quick frustration out of the way. This was a two commercial break match and between them we got like 4 minutes of in-ring action. It was really frustrating to watch a high quality match that's been promoted for a week that you really want to see and have that many commercials and that little time on the actual match. The second half we got to see, but the first half of the match was super frustrating. And that, that Real quick, real quick, real quick. That was the one thing I forgot to say at the top of the show. The commercials on
1: Raw were ridiculous. The first half like of the show, yeah. The first half, we got five commercial breaks in that first hour, two in this match. It was crazy. I, I don't know if it's normally like that. or if No, I, it's not. It felt different. It was bizarre. Yeah. And this, starting off with Drew Cody match, we're excited to see really hard to get into it because of that.
0: We got five breaks in the first 50 minutes. And that's just insane. It's more than usual. Yes. For people that saying, well, yeah, dramas usually have, you know, 16 minutes of commercial. That's true. They have that in 60 minutes of a show, not 50. So when you take 10 minutes out, those 16 minutes of commercials, they are much more annoying. It was very frustrating to watch because just as momentum was getting built twice, we went to commercial and they weren't even the picture in picture variety where at least you can keep watching. Besides that, let me get that out of the way. Besides that, this was perfectly booked. I came in assuming we'd get a no contest or a disqualification. Instead, we got a one, two, three, and the most unexpected version of it. The bloodline actively helping McIntyre, who has rallied against them for a year just to spite Rhodes. That was the cherry on top of the entire thing. Cody took his first pinfall in 323 days since WrestleMania 39. Drew got his biggest win in years at the perfect time, just as he's truly about to be elevated, it seems, and he's the only other person who can claim a pinfall victory over Cody in WWE since his return. Even Brock Lesnar didn't get that. That was a no contest or a referee stoppage, actually, if memory serves. And don't forget, McIntyre alluded to this. Because we know the finish. His family are gonna interfere every single time. You don't give a win like this over Cody to a guy you're worried about re-signing. You do give a win like this over Cody to a guy you need to build at least into a world championship contender, if not your next world champion. This match was excellent, an absolute banger. And I'm at four stars A- minus only because of the interference finish. But even that finish, Chris, directly mirroring Sokoa's interference just like what happened to Cody at WrestleMania 39. That was a beautiful cherry on top of this. WWE promoted this match like a big deal. They sure as hell made it feel like a big deal. Monday night.
1: Yeah, once they got through the commercials, they, they made it feel, feel like a big deal again. This was, it was the right finish for, for, for all the reasons you said. And I love that commentary said right away, uh, Drew's a hypocrite. Drew complained about all these people uh, who could have won except for bloodline interference. We know the finish. We know the finish. And then he just accepted it. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and they sold that. Like I did think commentary a bit oversold the result of the match, though. Because they were like, no, I can't believe this is happening. The match didn't mean anything. There wasn't anything on the line. You know, yeah. It it, it, was, it was, other than momentum. It's not like there was a A spot on the i mean cody doesn't lose
0: cody doesn't lose period so like
1: yeah but he lost so what he's still going to the main event of wrestlemania you know there wasn't actual stakes there so that was it was a a, a bit much at least for me but heck of a sell from cody on the claymore like you said like honestly one of the best claymore sells i think we've ever had Mm -hmm. um and then i love it not not like not only was it you know, a bloodline interference. It was the exact, almost the exact same bloodline finish as WrestleMania it was. last year. Yeah. And, and and so that just added a point onto it. First time Cody's been pinned since last year, like you said. Um, my one thought coming out of this, though, was where was Seth? I thought he was
0: supposed to be with him. Maybe that and we'll get to that but well, I thought about this in the moment. It happened pretty fast. They didn't, I don't think they did a post-match beatdown if memory serves. So no. if that had happened, then I would agree with you where the hell is Seth Rollins, but also he's hurt. So he probably can't run out there. Right. Number one. And number two, it happened pretty suddenly. So I don't think he would have been able to get out there in kayfabe. Also, interestingly, uh, WWE put this entire match uh, on YouTube already. They did. I noticed that. Yeah. I noticed that earlier today. So, after commercial, uh, Cole and Pat McAfee, they go full Telestrator on the match. Adam Pearce then promised Cody that both Bloodline members would be fined and Cody was catching his breath in the training room. He was hurt, obviously, because of the spike, all that. Rollins walks in, they nod to each other, basically an acknowledgement that this shit's gonna continue if they don't stop it. And then this segment ended. Now, we've praised on this show all prior usages of the Telestrator. In this case, Chris... It came off really corny to me and like out of place, probably because all the prior usages were in comedic ways, mostly involving Kevin Owens, if memory serves. Here, it was being used after a serious match, and it just did not hit the same way. I'm glad they're letting McAfee use it. There was another point in the show where he used it. We'll mention, I thought it was perfect, but they should pick the right spots. This for me was not one of them. Like he's circling his eyes. Like, no, that's not what I want to see. I want to see like an impactful move, how that changed the match. If you're going to use it in a serious manner, the stuff with Rhodes and Rollins though, backstage that hit really smart idea for Cody to be painfully reminded that history is going to repeat itself. If he doesn't take a different strategy into WrestleMania, these are the types of storytelling elements that actually make a difference when it comes to my enjoyment of the product.
1: Yes, they they completely set up. It's going to what happened last year could happen again. The bloodline said they're going to make sure he doesn't get to WrestleMania if that. um, And they have the tools to do it. And reminding us what happened last week that he needs Seth. Now, again, mm-hmm. they didn't take any step forward with Cody and Seth, which is the one thing I was hoping for. But 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 that was what it was. The Telestrator. Yeah, it was weird. The only thing the only thing, the only good thing that came out of it, though, the Drew McIntyre tweeted a screenshot (laughs) of it with his eyes circled and says, look in my eyes. What do you see? So Drew continues to kill it on social media.
0: I'm going to be really disappointed if Drew is not world heavyweight champion coming out of WrestleMania.
1: Yeah. I, at this point, like everyone, everyone online keeps saying, is he going to resign? Is he not going to resign this? Well, everything about Drew McIntyre for the past several months feels like a guy who is, staying with the company, right? Yeah,
0: I mean, I I think I tweeted during Raw, like this doesn't even need to be a topic of conversation anymore. Like I'm glad you brought it up because I wanted to say that on the show. But I mean, he's been booked like the number, let's call it three guy in the entire company right now. Okay, Roman Reigns, Cody Rhodes, and Drew McIntyre is really the next guy. I mean, Seth has been booked well too, but Drew is as hot as anyone in the entire company. His heel work, his social media work is top tier. He's getting promo time on the show. He's beating Cody Rhodes. He's in. He's about to win Elimination Chamber, most likely. We'll talk about that a little bit later. He's probably gonna be in a world title match. Oh, and by the way, this entire time that this has happened, he's continuing to build a storyline with a guy in CM Punk who is out of action for at least six months, probably eight. So you're talking about a long-term storyline build with a guy whose contract expires in May. So do you think he's either re-signed or they've come to a point where they've like agreed to terms, they just got to put pen to paper? Yeah, I would think so. Otherwise, this is even worse than the way WWE booked Dean Ambrose on the way out, giving him wins and a TV special and all that bullshit. And Daniel Bryan putting him in two title matches against Roman Reigns. I would say this is even stupider what they're doing with Drew McIntyre, making him as hot as they possibly can. From to leave? No, it's not happening. It's just, I, I... I can't fathom any way in which that is possible at this point.
1: Yeah, that that was, that was my thought as well. I saw it pop up again and I'm like, I don't think we need
0: to talk about this anymore. I think we're done with it. I mean, unless there's news out there of him taking offers from another company or taking a long vacation and deciding not to sign right away, unless something like that happens, I mean, in, in terms of WrestleMania season, It really doesn't feel like it needs to be a topic of conversation. Something else happened with McIntyre before we move on to the next segment. He later put himself over backstage for pinning Rhodes, calling himself the savior of WrestleMania. He said the victory was not tainted by the bloodline interference. McIntyre disagreed with anyone who said otherwise because he wanted to attack them on site when he saw them ringside, but he thought big picture and he decided he's doing it for the fans. He needs to get the win. He called himself the true workhorse of WWE, the future world champion promising to get the job done in Perth. There's not really much else to say other than this was another top-tier promo from Drew, exactly what it needed to be. And really, it fit along with all of those items that we just mentioned a second ago.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna be disappointed if Drew doesn't come out of that with a win. And we'll talk about that in the
0: preview. Talking about Elimination Chamber or? Yes. Okay, yeah, totally agree with that for sure. All right, folks, that was the main event. Your WWE Elimination Chamber Ultimate Preview is still to come before we get to that. We need to break down everything else that happened across SmackDown and Raw this week in the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez. I call a spade a spade. It just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything, do says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some. Jordan. It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in the articles that I read. So Sami Zayn backstage decided that he needs to hit the pause button on his feud with McIntyre because fixating on one person has continuously in his career stalled him from moving forward. He said he knows there's a path to WrestleMania for him, but he trusts his gut that he can do something historic. He said he is a contender and will be a champion. Shinsuke Nakamura responded in a promo later saying fighters don't complain, they fight. And he's happy to make sure Zayn stays an underdog by breaking him and dragging him all the way to the bottom. Shinsuke said he'll prove Sami is a pretender not a contender. Now, everything they're doing with Sammy is hitting for me. I still hope he's winding up in the World Heavyweight Championship match somehow, which is why I wanted to talk about it immediately coming out of the main event. But he did use the word historic in this promo. And that would indicate the Intercontinental title. I just don't see how that plays when he's already a three-time Intercontinental champion. It's not special in any way other than ending Gunther's reign. I don't necessarily, on top of that, love him fighting Nakamura again. It just happened. And the best, or the worst case scenario, I guess, is that it's gonna be 50-50 booking that negates Shinsuke's victory last week. Now, we're gonna have to see what they do before we judge, but Nakamura coming in with a promo on Zayn, when Sammy didn't even mention him, I just thought that was a little bit odd. I still think Money in the Bank is the best possible move with Sami. Let me just repeat. Gets into the World Heavyweight Championship match. McIntyre pins him. So Rollins loses the title without getting pinned. Seth can recover from his injuries, do whatever he needs to do. McIntyre goes on a championship run. Sami Zayn wins Money in the Bank. Cashes in on Drew. Wraps up their story. Gets Drew a title run. Gets Sami a title run. Everything works out. That's my fantasy booking here. This was good. Uh, I'm giving this a bad. I, I did not
1: care about this at all. It didn't really make sense. I don't know where things are going with Sammy. And he's just kind of wandering around a bit. I mean, I'm sure they have plans. It's, it's just all not purposeful. Clear what They are. It's just not clear what they are. And he lost. And so it's like, whatever. And then the Shinsuke promo, I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, I'm, I'm kind of done with the Shinsuke backstage promos. Like, really? I okay. got it. Yeah. Like, it's just a, it's the same thing every time. He, he just says it in a different way. You know, there's there's nothing new going on. There's not really a story going on anymore. And I'm just kind of like, all right, whatever. So I'm, I'm giving it a bad. I just, it felt repetitive. It felt like we're just kind of spinning our wheels right now. And I just kind of rolled my eyes.
0: Fair enough. Shinsuke needs something to sink his teeth into that he can win and be successful yeah. in this character because they're making him a real good upper mid card heel. But at some point that guy needs to win. And he, all he has right now is one victory via distraction. I think.
1: Yes. He, he, he's just, he's an upper mid card heel for the purpose of getting defeated. He's not,
0: there's no story going on. He needs to beat other mid card baby faces. Like he he needs to go take down. I'm trying to think Kofi Kingston. He needs to go, you know, he needs to be able to beat some like legitimate competitors. That way, when he does lose to an upper mid card baby face, You say, oh, okay, sure, fine. He lost this, but he's won his six prior matches. He's not getting those opportunities. That's the reason why he's not being built up enough right now.
1: Yeah, I I just want to know what he wants. What what is he trying to do? What is he trying to accomplish? I think he's
0: literally trying to be a villain. He's trying to hurt people. That's what it seems like the gimmick is. That's not a bad gimmick, but the guy has to actually win in order for that to be effective.
1: He's got to win and he's got to legitimately injure people and do more backstage
0: attacks. And, and take whatever. them out for just... periods of time. Yeah, I agree with yeah. that. I'm with yeah. you. All right, let's move to the Intercontinental Championship, Gunther against Jay Uso. Now, Jay was hyped backstage, ready to end Gunther's reign. But what popped me most is a new phrase he's using. So you guys, I don't know if you remember, Chris, but a while back, they asked us in the last word segment, what song we would use as our entrance music. If we had a choice, if we were professional wrestlers, here's what I chose. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Ho, H to the O-V. I used to snowflakes by the O-Z. And obviously the song goes on from there. It's Jay-Z's public service announcement from the Black album. And this is what Jay now says at the start or early in his promos. Man, allow me to reintroduce myself. They call me Ooze So, I mean, that pops the hell out of me that he's doing that now. I love that song. I love that intro. And I love that he's using it. Gunther later got a similar promo, reintroducing himself as the greatest and longest reigning Intercontinental Champion. There was also a fun moment before the match, Chris. McAfee was on the announce table doing Jay's entrance, you know, with the arms in the air. When Gunther turns around and spots him, So Pat stops cold in his tracks and the entire crowd behind him stops as well. Did you catch that? No. You didn't catch that. Okay. You need to go while we're like, while I break down this match, go on our Twitter account, the at getting overcast account. I tweeted a GIF of it. You can watch it while I go on here, but I'll just go ahead and break down the match. You can see it. So this was the main event. 22 minutes left. Jay put Gunther into, not through, the announce table with the Samoan drop. Gunther dodged a spear, hitting a shotgun dropkick, powerbomb stack, and a ton of huge chops while trash-talking Jay. Gunther lost him on a powerbomb and took a spear for a false finish. Then Gunther came back with a catch slam off the ropes and a huge splash. Jay took a ton of chops and hit a second spear, plus a third on the apron. Gunther tried rolling outside. Then he hit a fourth at ringside and a fifth back in the center of the ring. Jay finally landed the Uso splash. One, two, and then right between two and three, The ring bell starts being rung loudly multiple times by a guy in a hood. The referee gets distracted, stops his count with his arm in the air for three. As Jimmy Uso reveals himself, Gunther then caught Jay distracted with a chop to the back, but nearly got caught anyway for a false finish. Gunther took a super kick, and then Jay took Jimmy out with a tope suicida, only for Gunther to get knees up on an Uso splash and fold him over for the one, two, three. Jimmy immediately attacked Jay to major heat. Commentary pointed out it's the second time Jimmy has cost his brother a singles title. I actually think that's wrong. I think it's the third time. United States Championship, WWE Universal Championship, and now the Intercontinental Championship. Jimmy said off mic, he's always been the big brother no matter how much Jay accomplishes. Then he mocked Jay's entrance and did two Uso splashes to end Raw before holding up the one. Gunther is now not only the longest reigning Intercontinental Champion, He's held the title more days combined than anyone else in history, passing Pedro Morales. So let me start with the criticisms. The main one being that Gunther was, he was beaten far too decisively. In other words, five spears in Uso splash. There was no scenario in which he was kicking out. And for a guy who's been champion for 620 days, I think he should have been protected more at least being given some plausible deniability in the finish. Like, oh, he may have kicked out anyway. Also, the referee stopping the bell, stopping his count at the bell, it works in KFABE, but it's tough to imagine he wouldn't complete the motion with his arm coming down before stopping to see what happened. That said, because of the finish to Cody Drew, which opened the show, and they were doing two interference finishes in the same night, they had to do something different in the main event. And this was different. I also liked that Jimmy was the only one at fault here. It was not him and Solo, it was just Jimmy, which is the match we've wanted and that we've expected for WrestleMania. And to that end, the booking makes perfect sense. It reignites their personal feud and also puts Jay on the side of Cody and Seth. Interesting, I mentioned this earlier, is that the crowd, which was exceptional all night and was great for the vast majority of this match, kind of lost its juice in the final five minutes. If it was hotter, for like for Jay at the end, the moment would have hit even harder. That doesn't change the fact that it was good and Cole did a terrific job selling this like he was Jim Ross in 1998, basically calling Jimmy a piece of shit, being an asshole for doing this to his brother, a scumbag. How could he do something like this? Production was also excellent showing the WrestleMania sign in the background as Jimmy stood over Jay. So that's my breakdown of everything that happened here, Chris. What are your thoughts on Gunther Jay Uso?
1: yeah good match like you said um I did go back and look at that that gif of uh McAfee and everything that was great i I just I guess I didn't have my eyes up at that time that was really really cool really good shot uh for them um the finish my first thought was wait why does the ringing bell stop the match can't the referee just keep counting and like like you said like in kfab you can kind of work around it that was just my in my Live reaction was nobody stopped the ref from doing the count. Like normally, you interfere with the ref. I kind of wondered if they should have done pull the referee out, the exact same thing Jimmy's done before, um, because then it's easier. You can you can see, you can explain it. Um, But the reveal, the camera shot over to the guy banging the bell, and then Jimmy's boom reveal got a huge reaction from the crowd, which I didn't expect and commentary sold it. So like they did a good job with that. You know, when 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 Jimmy revealed himself at SummerSlam, it didn't go over so well because it was delayed, it was slow, the match wasn't great, so it just didn't have the juice. This mm-hmm. time it did end up having the juice. It did. So I like that. Um and I was I was trying to think like when's the last time somebody had Gunther beat? Did Gable ever have him at that point? I don't
0: Remember. The last
1: time someone had him beat was Sheamus.
0: Okay. At uh, what? Clash of the Castle? Y- no, that was Drew McIntyre, wasn't it? No, McIntyre. Oh, yeah. Voting. He was in the match. Yes. Uh, Clash of the Castle. Yes.
1: Yeah. So that doesn't happen very often. Uh, so that that boosts Jay uh, as well, who, again, is a 90 overall in the video game. <laughs> so clearly him and Guther are on the same level here. Um, and I, I think, honestly, I think the biggest reason we didn't, I, the crowd is a little bit dead at the end is because. Jimmy doesn't have any heat right now.
0: No, that was even he's- before that. I'm talking about like the three or four minutes prior to that happening. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Um,
1: yeah, I, I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I guess I can't, can't really explain it. Otherwise, no, they were hot. They it- were hot
0: for Jimmy. They booed the shit out of Jimmy. This was a better reaction that Jimmy's gotten for doing something like this than he's gotten probably in the last six months. I would say.
1: Yeah, my feeling on Jay, like calling him main event, Jey Uso, and him being in a raw main event. The crowd's really into his entrance and everything. I guess I'm just not quite there. Like, I never thought he was going to win this match. Right. Uh, so, I, I don't know. Maybe the crowd felt similarly. I I, I don't know. But we're going to get Jimmy J now. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Again, these guys who, who... Remember the thing for a long time with them was they uh, didn't have a match at WrestleMania. They were always on the pre-show and stuff like that. And then they finally got a match. And now to, to have been main eventing WrestleMania night one last year to now doing a uh, a brother versus brother thing, you know, after remembering years ago when we didn't do Cody versus Goldust at WrestleMania, mm-hmm. really cool for them and awesome. And I think it's going to I think it's going to end up being pretty hot. Uh, now we'll finally get that Jimmy J crossover. We haven't had a ton of that for right. a while now. So uh, a lot to build on here. And, uh, I think it all works. It's this not
0: is good. It's not that dissimilar from last year, what they did with Ray Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio, where they separated them on yeah. brands, let them do their own thing for a while, and then brought them together again, right before WrestleMania. But you kind of mentioned it. The storyline aspect of this is so interesting. You have Jimmy scared that his twin brother is succeeding without him finding more success on his own than Jimmy is experiencing still in the bloodline. The insecurity yeah. that Jimmy shows in all situations. It wasn't that long ago, Chris that in non kfabe we were criticizing his acting. He's completely found his character over the last couple of months and he's really doing a tremendous job. And now we have him costing his brother, the US title, the WWE title, and now the intercontinental title inside of a calendar year. Hell, he lost the tag team titles too. That's a grand slam loser right there, a grand slam hater right there. Consider that in Kfabe, these guys, Jimmy and Solo, were sent to Raw by Rock and Reigns. They were sent there to cost Cody. Yet Jimmy was hating so much, he came back on his own without Solo to take out Jay. I thought that was a nice storytelling element to kind of close it out. And the other thing that you need to kind of consider here, and this is what I alluded to earlier as something that I thought could have wrapped up the entire show, is Cody. Why didn't Cody run out after Jay started getting beaten on by Jimmy? It's one thing at the end of the match, but that final part of the show lasted two, three minutes. WWE, you texted this to me as we've been taping the show. They had Cody come out after Raw went off the air. He called out CM Punk. Nothing really happened. They just, Cody put over Jay, CM Punk comes out. They wanted to pop the crowd because Punk was backstage because he was there for the UFC thing, so on and so forth. But they published that on their official YouTube and, and Twitter channels. So we know Cody was there. So why didn't Cody come out to save Jay in the waning 15 seconds of Raw? That's the only thing I would have added because then you can get Cody and Jay against Jimmy and Solo as a tag team match at some point and it makes plenty of sense. So I thought that was a miss. But again, the storyline aspect with Jimmy and Jay, it's intriguing, kind of enthralling and they're just doing a great job with it. Yeah, no, I I think that that all works. Um, And yeah, like we, we
1: talked about it. I don't know, six months ago or so, but you've got so many main event baby faces now. Mm-hmm. And you you just saw it there, SmackDown and Raw across the board, just so many guys who can main event a show right now. And 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 you know, Gunther Jey Uso being that, imagine thinking that like two years ago, you know, like yeah. just
0: r- really, really good stuff. Uh card cashers at card cashers on Twitter wrote in, he said Gunther's Tyler has been great. He might very well have been the wrestler of the year last year. Well, guess what? He won the meaty for wrestler of the year. So good call. He was the wrestler of the year last year, but where do you go with him? He drops the IC title, then does what? Moves up to challenge Cody and lose. That would seem like a waste. Would they be bold enough to have Cody drop the title of Gunther after just a few months, maybe at SummerSlam? Faces usually have short title runs. And I don't think we're going to get too deep into it today, but booking the damn territory for Gunther is difficult once he drops the intercontinental title. I'd originally have thought Cody beats Roman, Gunther beats Cody but I could actually see it being pushed off, maybe down to Survivor Series. There's also the World Heavyweight Championship. Like, if Rollins does retain at WrestleMania, then Gunther beating him would make perfect sense. I do like my booking of Rollins, McIntyre, Zane, which I've already talked about on the show. So I don't know what they do with Gunther, but he does need to drop this title soon, and Roman Reigns needs to drop his title soon. WWE has to get away from these immensely long title reigns and start allowing the product to feel fresh every couple of months. Because even though it's hot and even though we like it and even though business is booming, they've got to change it up sooner than later because otherwise it's going to get extremely dull.
1: Under Triple H, we've had a 1000 day universal champion, the longest intercontinental champion, the longest tag team. Part of this is also in defense, but the longest tag team champion, the longest women's champion. Like that's, they've rewritten all the records basically. Right. Now you got to start changing titles. Now you kind of hot, not hot potato, but you want to see it move around a bit. You've made the titles mean something. You've made those title Mm -hmm. holders mean something. Going to have to make a, a, a twist, by the way, with Gunther and whatever's next, whenever that comes, remember Bash in Berlin,
0: end of August you presume there's going to be a big Gunther moment there. You would think so, of some type. A number one contendership, a title match. You got to take advantage of that opportunity. But yeah, uh, card cashers, good question. It's just booking the damn territory for Gunther. It is really difficult. I should also mention, I just want to say it before I forgot, I did grade this match four stars A- minus, for Jay and Gunther. Very, very good. Same issue as the opener. Just the finish kind of takes you away from that really hot Conclusion and clean conclusion. Let's move to Chad Gable against Ivar. Backstage before the match, Gable called out Ivar for trying to dismantle Alpha Academy, promising to end his momentum and build his own toward WrestleMania. He dared him to go one-on-one with no one ringside. Ivar responded with easily the best solo promo of his career and maybe his best promo in WWE, saying the gods decided his path goes through Gable. Ivar hit a double underhook Liger bomb. Gable got a sunset flip bomb and avoided a running crossbody outside into the LED ring apron. Ivar came back with a perfect seated senton, but missed the doom salt. Gable came back with a deadlift German suplex and a moonsault into an ankle lock submission, dragging Ivar to the center of the ring for the tap out victory. Massive reaction from the crowd to the win. They were all in with Gable down the stretch of this match. Now, usually I'd have put this segment much lower in our rundown, but ever since early last week, I just have this inkling. I know people think it's gonna be Sami Zayn I think we're headed to Gunther versus Gable at WrestleMania. The booking of this feud to lead back to this point, Gable beating Ivar, one of only a couple other big men on the roster right now, at least to that size. Um, The fact that they've had multiple live event matches recently, Gable and Gunther together, Gunther now overcoming Jay. It all sets up perfectly. I would love to see Gable win like an eight-man tournament to determine a number one contender for that title, build momentum into WrestleMania. But even if we put all that aside, anything that might happen with Gunther, this match was fantastic on its own. Would have been nice to get another five minutes. It badly needed five more minutes, but it definitely hit. And coming out of our interview with Gable on Friday, I asked him some very pointed, clear questions about his booking long-term in WWE, his decision to remain with WWE, despite the fact that he was never really used as a big-time mid-carder or a singles competitor, how he felt, to have the feud with Gunther, what was ahead for him. You should listen to that interview. It really does lead into this match and what might soon be coming for Gable. But it was great to see him find his momentum again. 3.75 stars, B-plus, and a good.
1: This stunned me completely. I, I mean, what, what did what did we been saying the last couple of weeks? I'm starting to worry about Gable's place here. He's getting kind of forgotten. He's not on TV much. He's not winning anything. We're seeing Otis... And in Maxine and, and Tozawa Tozawa. a lot more. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what is going on here? Ivar just made the chamber, or I'm sorry, didn't just make the chamber, but it was in a chamber eliminate uh, uh, qualifying match. I'm like, well, there's still you know momentum around Ivar. I thought Ivar was going to get his win back here and, and be back back on track. So when Gable won this, I was stunned, and it completely has now changed my outlook on what uh his future is. Mm-hmm. We we kept wondering, are they gonna come back to, to Gable Guther? That was hot. Even when he lost, people still wanted it. But we moved away from it. Did people move away from it? The crowd was clearly behind him. I think they can get back into that if that's where they're planning to go. I don't know. But that deadlift suplex was insane. <laughs> like honestly might have been the most impressive one he's ever done. He held it it felt longer than the other ones. Yeah, Just IVR's huge unreal. Yeah. And then the moonsault was perfect, man. Absolutely perfect moonsault. Uh, so this was absolutely good. And uh, I'm fired up about Chad Gable again.
0: For sure. Uh, the Damage Control Trio cut a taped promo in Japanese saying the faction may have started with Bailey's vision, but she was not responsible for their success. Io Sky said it's her era and it will stay that way when she embarrasses Bailey at WrestleMania. Asuka and Kairi Sane Called Dakota Kai stupid for siding with Bailey, telling her to sleep with one eye open. Dakota later grabbed Bailey backstage, saying she needs to help with damage control because they're now threatening her. Bailey said she appreciated Dakota's help last week, but this shit's been going on for months and she doesn't know who she can trust. Then Bailey walked away from her. What the trio said was kind of basic, but they looked like a million bucks, even cooler than they've already looked recently. And they've looked cool as hell recently. The Bailey Dakota part, it furthered the promo that got interrupted, if you remember, by all the stupid chants last week. So, we got a slightly deeper dive into their story. It's also going to present a situation, one would think, where Dakota can either double down and help Bailey, proving her loyalty, or take this slight from Bailey and turn on her as well. So, it's an inflection point for the way this storyline is going to go. Good character and storyline development for all five women. Smart that Bailey knows she can't really trust Dakota, at least not yet based on our history in NXT and the main roster. So like I already said the word, but this was good. Yeah, this was good. I, I think this continues to be the best kind of stuff we've gotten from damage
1: control all along. It just, this type of stuff really helps them shine.
0: Sure, no question. Let's move to the Women's Elimination Chamber qualifying matches. We have three of them to discuss across SmackDown Anne first Zelina Vega against Tiffany Stratton. Zelina hit a great moonsault outside only to get distracted by Legado Del Fantasma behind the barricade. LWO came down to get her back. Vega hit a Tornado DDT. Stratton hit her Cartwheel Alabama Slam. Zelina countered prettiest moonsault ever with a 619 to Tiffany Shins, then hit a Meteora. Electro Lopez talked trash to Vega. She got knocked out like near the announce table, so she was able to do that. So Zelina stupidly pulled her over the barricade, And then threw her back over the barricade. Tiffy took advantage with the pop-up spine buster and prettiest moonsault ever for the win in over eight minutes. Tiffy was solid here, but Zelina was the MVP of this match. Again, proof she needs to be used much more frequently. She's like a five-tool player. She may not be an all-star, but she's a five-tool player. She's got the capability to be involved at any level of program and be super entertaining and over with the crowd. Stratton was the right winner given her recent call up and her massively high ceiling. I'm glad they got a good amount of time to do their thing. Even with a commercial break, taking out a third of the match, the crowd was hyped the entire time too. This was definitely good.
1: Yeah, definitely good. It feels like they've realized they need to do more with Zelina Vega mm-hmm. uh, the last couple of weeks. Cause I think she may have posted on social media about it as well, about people saying they need to get more out of her. Basically since the rumble, yeah, they've kind of gone back to that and it's
0: it's working. She's great. It's good. Uh, Naomi fought Alba Fire. Naomi got a brand new entrance theme. And while I won't say it was an upgrade, Chris, because the original was so well-known and popular, Mm -hmm. I also didn't think it was that much of a downgrade. I liked it a lot. It was one of the better new themes that WWE has debuted over the last couple of years. What do you think? I
1: did not like it. (laughs) it, 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 And maybe, like, the previous one was so unique and... Catchy, like, maybe I'll get more used to this one over time. Maybe maybe that's just all it'll take, but I didn't understand changing it for a very similar thing anyway.
0: Okay, fair enough. Uh, Anyway, the Unholy Union entrance also hit. I love their presentation with the fire and the smoke. They look so cool, but they actually need to be used on TV consistently for anyone to care about them. As we found out in this match and again on Raw, no one gives a shit about Alba Fire Because even though she's a really good wrestler, she hasn't been used on television. Anyway, Naomi did a bulldog into the steel steps. They had a really strong back and forth with some great late kickouts. Isla Dawn slugged Naomi when she fell over the ropes. Naomi flipped out of a gory bomb, booted Dawn off the apron, did the DX chop for some reason, and then hit a knee DDT. Naomi then trapped Fire's arms back and pulled on her neck, for a submission victory in just over nine minutes. I don't know what the name of that submission is. As with the prior match, I'm glad they got a good amount of time to wrestle, even if another third of it was during commercial. I'd have loved to have seen Alba in the chamber, of course. This was her third TV match in like a calendar year. Naomi's the returning star who was always going to be in it. This was good. The crowd was into it as well, but the wrestling was clunky, and it actually seemed to be mostly on Alba fire. I don't really blame her though, because again, she hasn't been wrestling. I'll worry about it more if she wrestles a lot and is still clunky two months from now. I always wonder, um,
1: it's like if, if you, if you're at NXT and you wrestle all the time, you know, you're you're fresh. If you come to the main roster and you're just not being used, like, are you still getting your reps in, you know, like, did you practice before the show? Like, I don't know. I've always kind of wondered that, um, Naomi, I can't believe it took this long again to get Naomi into a match and give people a reason to cheer her. It's good. to well, finally I was okay. That.
0: Let me interrupt quickly. I was okay yeah. with this being her first match, but she should have cut an in-ring promo or something a while back. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Totally. Totally. And so, and so, um, yeah, this was a bit clunky, but it was ultimately good. Cause we got Naomi
0: out there. We got her a win. She got in like needed to happen. Yeah. I'll note. So Alba fire and Isla Dawn, like we talk about, we haven't seen them on TV much, which is obviously accurate. They haven't been working house shows either. The last house show they worked was October. So when you say, oh, someone was clunky to match, they're not good. No, she's wrestled Alba like five times since Mm. December. So like, yeah, someone's going to be clunky. Imagine, you know, we work in in journalism. Imagine if we stopped writing for five months and all of a sudden had to do a big news story. It's going to take us a while to figure out how to like, get our head around it again. So it's the same thing with her. So she'll be fine. No one needs to worry about her. Last chance battle Royal over on Raw. Raquel Rodriguez returned here. And not only, Chris, did she get a shockingly strong pop, but she looked great coming back. See what I did there? Uh, she's yes. She's been battling MCAS, which is an autoimmune skin disease. Total absence was over two months. You could tell she was really touched emotionally by the reaction she got here. Yes. Totally.
1: Um, good to see her back. Again, no pun intended. Um, well, mine was intended. <laughs> she, she, she she, clearly enjoyed the reaction. I'm glad the crowd gave her a big reaction because my reaction was like, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> I, I I was like not expecting that. Um, you know, f- first of all, it was like, wait, why is she coming back for a rumble? Is this uh, a battle royal? Is this going to be her return? I was like, yeah. and then she did the back thing again. I was like, oh, <laughs> We don't need the back
0: entrance, you know, like do, do, do something different, um, but awesome to see her back. This was also the first, like, cause you know, like she's been doing the back thing and smiling, right? But this was the first time where her smiling felt genuine. It was like, she's really happy to be sure. there. And it's like, I smiled with her. I was like, oh, that's great. Usually I see the smile and I'm like, oh, come on. You don't need to be that freaking fake happy. You know what I mean? But it, it worked here. I was just happy for her. Uh, Jade was not involved in the match. Commentary talked about the freaking antlers again. Natalia eliminated Tegan Knox after a hug—a direct reference to the Royal Rumble. They cannot continue teaming after this, please. Uh, Zelina Vega in this match. It good, but she's got me saying, "Hey now!" I mean, you gotta see her here. Look, it look it looked like she was wearing underwear. It looked like she was wearing lingerie. It was yeah, incredible. I'm sorry, it was awesome. Uh, she brawled with Electra Lopez after they both got eliminated. The crowd showed some love for Indy Hartwell just before the Aussie unfortunately got eliminated. Raquel had a great elimination of Alba Fire. Ivy Nile flashed in the final five. Zoe Stark and Shayna Baszler eliminated Mee Chin, leaving a final three. Rodriguez beasted Baszler out of the ring, then booted Stark seemingly to win, except the bell didn't ring. Chelsea Green slid inside, Raquel immediately got her out, and the bell finally rang. I really wanted Indy to win this, but given the reception that Rodriguez got, not just on her intro, her entrance. But winning the match? They popped huge for her. She was undoubtedly the right choice. It was so pleasantly surprising to see her get cheered like this. It's the most momentum she's ever had on the main roster, and it absolutely stacked up the Elimination Chamber match even more than it was stacked already. There were also multiple feuds and storylines continued within the Battle Royal. That's always a positive. Chelsea was great as usual. This was definitely good. Uh, I'm giving it a,
1: good but it was it was a long path to get there um doing a battle doing a battle royal like three weeks after the royal rumble yeah uh, fair took took away any like novelty of it Mm -hmm. and i think that's part of the reason the crowd was dead at the beginning and when it's a battle royal and not a royal rumble you don't have the excitement of of, of uh timed entrances you don't have as many stories going on throughout the match it's just a madhouse for quite a while i think they did a good job of all things considered being in a kind of difficult uh, position also didn't love how this started we go um commercial andrade's vignette then the cody seth thing then we get entrances then we get a commercial then we come back and there's more entrances and then we start the match. It, it was just very weird stretch, slow to, to start it off. Um, Raquel winning makes sense. You know, like she, she's been positioned really high before she she's done well, you know, had a lot of momentum behind her, there crowds with her. It was the right choice. I'm just, I'm just still kind of whatever about, about her in general. Yeah, that's fine. Really? Yeah, hasn't good. really had much. She's never really had a character, which we've said many times. Mm-hmm. She just comes out there and smiles and her and Liv were a thing that was pretty cool. But like, we don't, we don't we don't, have a character yet. And so I'm hoping maybe coming out of chamber and everything else, we can get something.
0: Let me ask you this, because you made a pretty salient point about doing a battle royal so soon after the Royal Rumble, especially when you had a women's one and that resulted in a number one contender for WrestleMania. They do this in NXT. And they don't do it on the main roster and I wish they did. So a battle royal where the final four competitors immediately go into a fatal four-way match that's decided by pinfall or submission or any way one of those matches is decided. Therefore, you're still getting a pinfall victory. You're involving a lot of people and you're not doing a match that has a similar finish to the Royal Rumble itself. What do you think of that? If they had done that instead? I like that a lot more. Yeah. They need to start instituting that in situations like this especially when it's for like a qualifier or a number one contendership or something like that, that fatal four-way triple threat, or even if it's just two people and it's a singles match, that element at the end of a battle royal for me, it takes it to another level, makes it much more definitive and it makes it feel like it matters more. We'll move off of this. There is more to discuss from the women's elimination chamber build. We will do that in the Ultimate Preview later on today's show. Nick Aldis stood with Braun Breaker and Jade backstage Both of them were reviewing their SmackDown contracts. Bianca Belair and Liv Morgan were in the corner with Stratton popping in to talk shit about both of them. Cargo got angry that they were doing it during her meeting, and she walked out with Aldis and Breaker. Aldis later came out on stage on SmackDown, announcing he has officially signed Breaker. Commentary sold Braun huge. They even put over his Steiner heritage. They didn't say the name, but they alluded to it very strongly. Noticeable was that his beard has returned to a more natural look. It's not painted anymore. So, maybe they're moving him away from his full heel persona. For those who don't listen to the NXT show, Breaker last Tuesday won the NXT tag team titles with Baron Corbin. They're the Wolf Dogs. Chris, you don't watch NXT, you would love the Wolf Dogs. I promise you. They are so freaking entertaining. So, it looks like he's going to be pulling double duty Braun, at least through WrestleMania. The first part. Was just one of those world building segments that we talk about wanting all the time. The free agent signing announcement continued the pr- positive progression that we've been discussing in the way superstars get called up. I just kind of wish Stratton got the same treatment a couple weeks ago. But combining both, they made for some good, entertaining stuff on SmackDown.
1: Yeah, it w- it was good. And honestly, like I've seen clips of Corbin and uh, Breaker. I'd say I'd love for them to come up to the main roster just as a tag team. Yeah, but. We don't really have tag team championships. We have Judgment Day holding onto two belts that are doing their own thing. So it doesn't really make sense. Um, I'd love for them to show us, remind us what Breaker did in the Rumble. Yeah. Because he had a big monster performance. You're just kind of telling us, hey, Braun Breaker, NXT champ, Heritage, yada, yada. But we just saw him kick ass three weeks ago. Like, show us that. Remind us that. I I think that would help.
0: I think we're going to see that next week because he has his debut match on the main roster. So my guess is they do a whole package involving some of that from the Royal Rumble Mm -hmm. before the match. So let's move to the men's elimination chamber qualifiers. We had Kevin Owens against Dominic Mysterio, this open smackdown. R-Truth came out to the crowd early in the match and he distracted KO. He eventually ran through Dom outside and even got chummy with a fan taking a selfie before a sent on that, of course, being Owens. KO hit a cannonball and a frog splash inside. Dom had an X-Factor, K.O. answered with a Swanton Bomb. Dom told Truth to get him a chair if he wanted to be in Judgment Day, but he listened to the kids in the first row and instead sat down with the chair. At ringside, K.O. caught Dom with a pop-up powerbomb for the win. I was a bit surprised by the booking here. I figured, just as I did in the matches last week, that there would be some interference finishes to create another singles match for Elimination Chamber. But given it was squeaky clean, K.O. was definitely the right winner over Dom. And I always appreciate when someone wins without hitting their active finisher, which for KO now is the stunner. I've always liked the pop-up power bomb better, and he got to use it here. Dom once again showed he's continuing to improve with each passing month. He looks good in the ring. He's getting great crowd reactions. This was good.
1: Yeah, it was good. And like you said, Dom continues to look better. Um, I just, why was our truth here? Like, I, I wrote down, like, why are we still doing this? He's coming over to another show now, to just do a nothing Dominic thing after he got beat up, and we'll talk about what happened. Well, he created Rob, the distraction
0: like, that allowed KO to catch him with the pop up powerbomb and win.
1: Yeah, but was, he, he didn't. He still seemed confused to me. It didn't all seem purposeful. Did you feel like. Like, why purposeful? would he even consider getting him a chair? Because nothing our Truth has done has made sense. He did. Like, he still right. thinks he's with Triple H and Shawn Michaels. So it's like, it's hard to. <laughs> It's hard to tell when he's doing things
0: purposeful and when right. he's not right, and we can we can talk about well the, the, let me say, sitting down in the chair was purposeful, that was an fU, yeah, but like i I just i I didn't it was
1: look this is still a good segment. I just when he popped out I was like, how are we still doing this? Does he think he's with the, the judgment day still like uh, you know, because I've been frustrated at where that's going. well,
0: let me tell you something but i'm afraid i've got some bad news this is going until wrestlemania it's just very obvious and it's fun and people are cheering and we'll talk more about it coming up in a moment yeah but it's not how the tag team titles which main evented the show last year night one it is not what they should be doing with the tag team titles We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later Miz fought Logan Paul in the other qualifier. Backstage before the match, Logan said the WWE Universe was welcome because he's giving them a free match on television. He promised to win out and become double champ at WrestleMania. Strange that production forgot to put the Elimination Chamber qualifying graphics everywhere in this match like they have for all the other ones. It just looked like a regular match aesthetically. Extremely clunky early. Paul missed like 75%. Of a standing moonsault. He had some other struggles. Logan eventually hit a frog splash on the apron. Miz later did a hooking flatliner and a code breaker style move to like the chest off the middle turnbuckle. Paul grabbed the ring apron to distract the referee before gouging Miz's eyes and hitting his own skull crushing finale for a false finish. Miz locked in the figure four, but Logan found the ropes while screaming. Paul's idiot friend handed him brass knuckles outside, but Miz stole them and threw them ringside. Logan then caught Miz inside with a knockout punch and then like Hug slammed him to the canvas for the win. It's possible he was supposed to do a skull crushing finale, but forgot. Despite the rough start, the middle portion of the match was excellent. The middle. Logan just needed to find a groove. And then once he did, he was off to the races. Because KO won the earlier match, this was the obvious move. I thought they were going to both cost each other and then fight for the title a second time in Perth. But alas, here we are. Logan was the right winner given the circumstances. It was pretty good, I would say. Light good. Yeah, it, it was like, I, you know, this was the first time we'd seen Logan
1: Paul wrestle on TV. And so I, I wondered, you know, this isn't a big stadium show. Did did, did did he have time to put in the same amount of effort and attention that he has into the, you know, the few pay-per-view stadium mm-hmm. shows that he does? But was there enough focus there? I, I, I don't know. They eventually got there. Miz, I thought, looked pretty good. Miz seemed like was, again, continues to like, Break out some moves he doesn't normally do. It seemed like he kind of
0: tried some things there. He's in the late career John Cena era. He definitely is.
1: I liked a I liked a line from commentary. They called it the Paul Crushing finale uh, on, on one of the moves there. And uh yeah, it was it was fine. It was good.
0: There was a segment on Raw called Truth Line, so like Dateline, with Jackie Redman investigating the actual relationship between R-Truth and Judgment Day. Truth was walking around in a poncho, depressed, saying it was special, like the first time John Cena tried on a pair of jean shorts. He said Damien Priest made him cry the most since the ending of This Is Us or When the Ducks Left Tony Soprano. Truth said, it must be how Genuine felt when he wrote Pony. Donna would have something to say about that. He said he was excited to team up with Shawn Michaels and Triple H of DX. And Then he held up the heart hands thing. This wasn't as good as the other one a few weeks ago, like with the baby pictures and all that. But no, not I got to tell you, it made me smirk like hell. So it was good. It was this was fine. I'll I'll give this a good. We'll we'll have the full r truth talk in a minute. Fine. So DIY the Miz and Truth fought Judgment Day in an eight man tag team match. The faces all did suck it early in the match. Multiple loud R Truth chants were on this show. He hit five moves of Doom on JD McDonough. Tommaso Ciampa had a great like full cardio hot tag Cesaro style with Willow's Bell and a Tope Con Hero. He countered Finn Balor's Sling Blade into an inverted DDT. Truth cricked Damian Priest's ass on a double tag and got his spinning scissor kick. The faces hit triple slingshot topes. Truth countered South of Heaven into a rolling cover for a false finish, only to take a bell clap in South of Heaven. For the loss, McAfee broke this down via Telestrator, and it was far more appropriate in this spot. He showed the height of the South of Heaven on our truth This is exactly, for me, what an eight-man tag team match is supposed to accomplish. Fun action, got a bunch of people over, gave a huge hope spot to the biggest babyface, and saw the right winner, the guy who is not only a champion, but also holds the money in the bank briefcase. Unfortunately, this is what I was alluding to earlier, it feels like Awesome Truth is going to remain involved with Judgment Day all the way out to WrestleMania. But if I'm judging this purely on what we got Monday night, it was an easy good. The crowd was on absolute fire throughout this entire match. Truth was as over as anyone on the show except Cody Rhodes, and the booking other than that was basically perfect. Um
1: okay so I I am I'm, I'm I'm tired of the art truth stuff after having been in on it longer than you and more than you but because but so like I, I'm I'm out on it now because I don't think a comedy thing is your tag team championship WrestleMania it thing It shouldn't be and yet <laughs> There's a big we want truth chant during this match. I know a, a big roar for the hot tag. So who am I to say yep. that it's not working? You know, I can't deny that the crowd is going nuts for it right now. So maybe maybe it'll work out. Maybe it's fine. I just wish there had been, I don't say more effort, but more some higher highs and lower lows as we got on this story. And instead it just kind of stayed in the same place, repeating itself, repeating itself, repeating itself. And we're just going to go forward with that. So like, I don't know what you're going to do for the next <laughs> month and a half here, you know? So maybe it's going to go to mania. Maybe it doesn't. I I, I don't know, but I'm surprised uh, that it is going this route considering what Judgment Day is and has been and has been over, they've kind of been hijacked by the R-Truth thing. And I don't think anybody seemed to think that was going to happen. And now they're leaning into it, and I'm a little
0: concerned. Yeah, it feels like maybe the goal was for DIY to win the titles, but R-Truth got so over that they've transitioned it. And, like, I totally agree with you. Again, this main event at WrestleMania Night 1 last year, these titles. So it really should not be a comedy element this year where the Miz and R Truth beat Judgment Day. But at the same time, Chris, the top baby faces for the men in WWE right now are Cody Rhodes, Seth Rollins, LA Knight, Jay Uso, and R Truth. It's just that's a fact. That is what's happening right now. And our truth. I'm not saying he's more over than LA Knight or Jey Uso, but his reactions are very similar. And you know what you don't hear? We want Seth. We want Knight. We heard We want Truth during segments that either didn't involve him or only tangentially involved him. And him being on screen got the crowd to chant that. I think the backstage segment with like Kevin Owens last week, Our Truth shows up. Got like a stone cold pop from the crowd. You can't <laughs> yeah. deny that. You just can't. No, It's what's no. happening. So like, this is one of those situations where I say, not what I want, but I'm not going to deny the crowd thinking something is over. And if the crowd thinks something is over and the company gives it to them, then more power to them. And look, that's that's the
1: thing we do on this podcast. We We, we got that review at the beginning. They said, unbiased, what have you. Right. Um this is it. Like if we don't like something, but it seems to be working, we'll acknowledge that. Yeah. And that seems to be what this, this is.
0: You could even say it's a big acknowledgement. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement acknowledge. right there. Acknowledge. Let's wrap up this segment. A couple more things. AJ Styles was depressed. He was brooding backstage in a locker when the rest of the OC came up to check on him. Meechan was angry. He hadn't called or texted. Carl Anderson said AJ forgot where he came from and got slapped for it. They got right in each other's faces and then Styles stepped away. Something is better than nothing with these guys. Even if Styles has to like go through them individually, at least it's something they are actively doing and maybe they come back together after. Maybe he turns them heel. I'm just glad it wasn't dropped because it seemed like when they said he was separated from the OC, they were just like, all right, that's over. And AJ is now going to do his own thing. And I also laughed at this briefly. I know it wasn't intentional, Chris. I don't even know if you've watched this show. But AJ reminded me of, like, those goth kids from South Park. Just, like, (laughs) sitting with his trench coat, wearing all black, in a corner, no one talking to him. I actually thought it was good.
1: Yeah, it is good. I actually kind of would like to dive into that a little bit more. Because AJ comes back, and you understand that he's pissed at the bloodline. Why, though? But if he's not.
0: Beyond, like, why is he so angry,
1: like, as a heel? Right, right. right. Well, he's mad at the bloodline because they injured him. Right, right. and And he's mad at LA Knight for taking his spot at Crown Jewel. But other than that, why is he still angry?
0: You know, that, that's that's what I want to get into with him. So we'll see. I agree. Andrade got a second vignette talking about being a third generation luchador and this being his destiny. He said he will control his destiny and everything he's going to achieve with this being the era of Andrade El Idolo. So that is now officially his name, which is obviously a great decision. Seems like they were going to unveil it in this segment, which is why they didn't use it previously, even though it's been part of his theme since he returned. I know you don't care about him, Chris, the production here was extremely high quality and I'm really hyped for him to be back on TV regularly. It is by far the most interesting he's been on the main roster. This was good. The production was good. I just, I don't care. Yeah, that's fine. You know, until,
1: until he gets into a story that's interesting and something's going on. It's been a very long time since Andre Alidolo was in a story I was interested in. So we'll see. I'll,
0: I'll give it a light good because it was done well. New Day backstage before the main event of Raw were furious at Imperium still. Kofi Kingston said they tried to end his career and they put themselves over as a standard saying that it is no surprise that Imperium came after New Day in the first place trying to make a name for themselves. New Day said it's not over till they say it's over and they're going to end it in a street fight next week so that there can be no disqualifications and they can get the job done. Kingston then started doing the New Day rocks beat with a kendo stick on a road case. That may have been like the hardest thing he's done in a long ass time. It was good to see these guys cut a completely serious promo and deliver it in the way they did. They kind of lost my interest in this feud, but damn it. If I don't care about this match next week, almost entirely because of this promo Monday night.
1: It's another one of those where like, I don't care, but like it was done well again. And so like, I am interested in the match next week. I just, I just big picture. Like what is new day, man? Like, Biggie's been gone for years. Mm-hmm. And and they're just floating around. There's no tag team. There's no titles.
0: There's no they need it, to split the it, titles. They can yeah. be competing for them.
1: That's the problem. It just exactly. It's been a problem for a year. Yeah. They, it should have been split up after Kevin and Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn want it. And so you have teams like New Day that are just sitting there, man. Like, yeah.
0: all right, cool. I don't WWE well, developed all of these tag teams successfully. They yeah. split every other title successfully and changed the title names and all that. All successful. And these are still together. What are we waiting for? Yeah, I don't get it. This is bullshit, man. I just, <laughs> that's bullshit. And lastly, the Authors of Pain beat Javier Bernal and Bo Morris. These are a couple of rarely used NXT guys. AOP at the Super Collider. Then the Tandem Neckbreaker Powerbomb to win in 60 seconds. It's crazy that it took so long for these guys to get a match. I'm only going with bad here because... I'd have preferred to either see them against a real competition or at least have Karrion Cross cut a promo after the bell. And neither happened. It was a completely pointless match that existed in its own silo and was maybe used to fill up TV time. It was just dumb, so it was bad. It was
1: bad. But again, speaking of a tag team that could be doing something if you had some tag team belts,
0: yeah, I don't... AOP, I don't, uh, Street Profits, New Day, I mean,
1: all of them. Good to see AOP back again. We love them. Um, but a squash match in 2024 is yeah, not it. Not it.
0: I wouldn't say love. I like I like them, never really loved them, but to each their own. Totally fine. All right, Chris. With that said, let's go ahead and move to our WWE Elimination Chamber Ultimate Preview. We're gonna break down every single match on the show. We're gonna share additional elements from Raw and SmackDown we did not already discuss. We're gonna give you predictions for each match. At the end, we'll give you a pre-show expectation grade for Elimination Chamber. We do this for every single premium live event or pay-per-view. If you're a first-time listener, you always want to listen to our Ultimate Preview episodes. This one, slightly different because so much else happened in WWE and the card is so short. We're not going to spend as much time on it as we normally would. But nevertheless, let's get into it. Your 2024 WWE Elimination Chamber Ultimate Preview. Let's start with a promoted segment that is not a match. It's the Grayson Waller effect with Cody Rhodes and Seth Rollins. On SmackDown, Paul Heyman was shown talking to Waller backstage, presumably coaching him up on what to ask these guys, maybe how to attack them. And that's really all we got. Again, Cody and Seth did that quick backstage segment. I thought it would be cool if we saw them commiserating more on Raw. We didn't. So not only is this a segment without a match, but it's a segment with no build. Maybe this winds up being Cody Waller in a one-on-one match, which would be a great spot for Waller, who is Australian, one of four Aussies in WWE, he would get the opportunity uh, main roster. Uh, he'd get the opportunity to wrestle on the show. Hopefully, that's what they do, and they don't they didn't want to put the match on the card without giving it a reason for happening. So they do the segment. Then it leads to Cody. He wrestles on the show, beats Waller. Everyone gets pops. Everyone goes home happy. I could see bloodline interference here, perhaps maybe Solo Sokoa gets involved, but I don't really know what to expect from this. Other than it's Grayson who's going to get a big reaction from the crowd, Cody and Seth who are going to get big reactions from the crowd, and it's probably going to serve as a nice palate cleanser between the elimination chamber matches.
1: Yeah, look, this is the second time since September that Cody's getting an interview segment on uh, pay per view. Mm-hmm. He had he had the one at Payback I, that was
0: announcing Jay Uso that, was going to Raw. Yeah,
1: yeah. that was also Grayson Waller effect. So like, I don't know, man. I think Grayson Waller is awesome and I hate the Grayson Waller effect. Remember when he just did a straight up promo with John Cena and money in the bank, how he freaking killed it. When he he can move around and react to the crowd and he's not just surrounded by the set. I just, he's been on the main roster for like a year or so now. I just glad he's getting the spot. I think he's crazy talented. I just, really surprised
0: this i mean what it is let's not downplay it though like he's he's done way more in one year on the main roster especially the people he's interacted with and let's just compare him to the Miz because it's it's the closest comparison that's existed in wwe the Miz didn't get featured like this for what five six years in wwe grayson waller is getting this all in year one okay but grayson he's just not waller, wrestling
1: yeah. he's also whatever. i mean we don't need to talk about this that much i i it's disappointing that we have one show between Royal Rumble and WrestleMania, and perhaps the only thing we're getting involving the hottest storyline is a talk show segment absolutely that's disappointing that that is that is disappointing i I don't really know what left what else there is to say for Cody and Seth considering what they said last week, so I don't know I hope something
0: I hope it's more than just that well, it's interesting that, that you said this is all we're getting for this show from this top storyline in w w e because Roman Reigns cut a promo on social media only about this show. And I'm going to play it. I didn't even plan to do this. But this was a major frustration I had as well. Wise man. Yes, my tribal chief. Where's the elimination chamber? Perth, Australia, my tribal chief. I have to go down there? No, no, my tribal chief. (laughs) You have a wise man. That's right. Is Seth and Cody down there? Yes, my tribal chief. And what are they going to do? My tribal chief, they're on the Waller effect. Waller. Somebody better inform them
1: that the only thing coming out of their mouth is when they acknowledge me.
0: Yes, my tribal chief. Look it up. So the promotion that Roman Reigns and WWE are doing for the show is F Perth, Australia, F Elimination Chamber. Thankfully, I don't have to go, but you should watch. (laughs) Like, that's literally what that segment was. So Roman Reigns, because of his contract, isn't appearing. The Rock, because he's The Rock, isn't appearing. And that's okay. I'm fine with The Rock not being there. You have Cody and Seth flying out. Seth can't wrestle because he's hurt. Cody, it seems like whatever match they had scheduled for him isn't happening on the show because they had to change everything around. And now you have Roman Reigns (laughs) basically dissing the entire thing. So yeah, it is immensely frustrating. And again, if you're a fan going to the show, it's gonna be a great show. Like I really don't doubt that Elimination Chamber is gonna exceed expectations at least coming in. But if you're disappointed, I don't blame you at all. Yeah,
1: do you think it's possible we get a surprise rock appearance? I really really don't. if he's been out training in Hawaii, you know, you're halfway there or something, you know. I, I
0: don't That's know. still a I, hell of a trip, Hawaii to Perth. I mean.
1: I, that that comment from Roman makes me think we'll probably maybe get a Jimmy Solo attack. Yeah. And maybe, the, maybe. maybe they
0: like fight him off. My guess something. ultimately, just to make it clear, is Cody ends up fighting Grayson Waller. That's my guess. That'd be great. That'd be great. I hope that happens. Yeah. All right, let's move on. We got actual matches to talk about here. Tag team championship, Finn Balor and Damian Priest defending against Tyler Bate and Pete Dunne. So on SmackDown, Dunne backstage said he was feeling great. Bate suggested a tag team name, New Catch Republic. Dom came up talking shit, so they challenged to a tag team match that we're gonna see on the Home Show, Dom and JD McDonough against them. I wanna talk about this name briefly. I'm not a fan at all for a variety of reasons. First of all, NXT has a brand new faction. They're called the No Quarter Catch Crew. This is New Catch Republic. No Quarter Catch Crew. Way too similar. Also, New Catch Republic suffers from like the Undisputed Era problem. Like the era was a time period. Republic is a form of government. And worst of all, England isn't even a republic. It's a constitutional monarchy. It almost sounds like a seafood restaurant. New Catch Republic. I'm not sure what was wrong with British Strong Style or another variation of it, but hey, at least they got a name. Way quicker than most teams, months faster than Bobby Lashley's crew. So I guess that's a positive. <laughs> what What does this catch thing mean? What am I missing? Catch wrestling. Like what is amateur it? British style wrestling, basically.
1: Okay. that is. I was unaware what that was, and I'm guessing most viewers were as well. Uh, I'll, I'll also say though, that I hate, hate, hate the phrase strong style because it implies that other people are not trying as hard and a fighting. In a, in it a, in does imply that also. others aren't
0: hitting each other real while strong style yes. wrestlers are. That yeah. is true. Yes.
1: I've, yeah. It's always bothered me. So like, I'm like, I don't hate it. It's just nothing to me. You know, it's just, it's whatever. It's fine. It's a name. It's better than Bobby <laughs> Lashley and the street profits.
0: I'll, I'll take it. I just think they just I think it's fair to say they could have come up with something better. That's all I'm trying to say. Like New Catch Republic. It really does sound like a seafood restaurant. It does. So oh, it does. Yeah. It sounds like a good seafood restaurant. It sounds like a good seafood restaurant. Agreed. But it does not sound like a wrestling tag team. Anyway, look, Bait and Dunn love them together. They've quickly gained some positive momentum from the fans, which is positive. Not as over as DIY is, but they're getting there. And that's very good to see. But you're not having Finn Balor and Damian Priest lose the titles on this show, especially not if the awesome truth thing happens, especially not with WrestleMania coming up. Also, there's nothing else they have planned, clearly, for Balor or Priest individually going into that show. So Judgment Day retains the titles here. I agree. All right. Let's move to the men's elimination chamber. Your competitors will be Drew McIntyre, Randy Orton, Bobby Lashley, LA Knight, Kevin Owens, Logan Paul. On SmackDown, McIntyre backstage said he's the only superstar in the match who needs to win so he can be the savior of Raw, the fans, and WrestleMania. Knight interrupted, promising to steal his moment, with McIntyre telling him fans will quickly turn once he doesn't exceed their expectations. Knight shouted back that Drew hasn't done shit since LA got called up to the main roster and it got super hot between them. It's funny though that Knight called McIntyre an old timer here when he's actually three years older than him. LA was awesome though. Uh, The first person to actually match Drew shot for shot on the mic in a while. As we always say, even if they're not wrestling, find ways to let these guys talk. This is what you get when that happens. This is such good shit. And they're going to have a match on the go home show. Yeah. I thought this backstage between
1: the two of them was freaking awesome. I got fired up. I like, like It felt like a real good back and forth argument between guys. The match, it's already happened. I don't know what happens, but uh, it's a big match to, to, to send on a go home.
0: I loved it. So what's notable about this match is there's only one Raw superstar in the chamber, even though the winner is going to get a title shot against the... World Heavyweight Championship, which is entirely defended on Raw. That's obviously okay because the SmackDown title has a Raw challenger in Cody, but still it's noticeable yeah. just given the way the match was built. It tells you that the plan was definitely a number one contendership for the United States title or a United yeah. States title chamber match Yeah. after they pivoted away from CM Punk winning because he was supposed to challenge Rollins. In terms of the match itself, we always go by process of elimination, right? Right. And we have to remember that Seth Rollins is the World Heavyweight Champion. So who makes the most sense to fight him at WrestleMania? I would say Bobby Lashley, certainly not. Logan Paul as champion, certainly not. Kevin Owens as a babyface really doesn't make sense. LA Knight has had no interaction with Seth. If anyone between Owens and Knight, Owens would make more sense than Knight. And that brings me down to Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton. Orton simply because He's Randy Orton, and right now he has nothing to do. For WrestleMania, he's also a guy who can turn heel on a dime, and you could definitely buy a Rollins-Orton match, but everything they have been showing us on TV has indicated McIntyre winning this match. If it was a situation where like Sami Zayn was in here and could win, and then Drew could back his way into it, that would make sense. But both chamber matches are pretty damn telegraphed this year, more so than usual, And McIntyre is definitely the winner. The only other thing I'll say in terms of a little preview to the match itself, Chris, is I think we get Knight eliminating Logan. It's the perfect way to make him the number one contender for the United States Championship at WrestleMania. The only way they wouldn't do that is if they wanna run the Owens rematch first because that was initially planned for Elimination Chamber. It seems like they might've just dropped that angle though and they can just move forward here. Logan is gonna have a crazy spot maybe a frog splash off of a pod. They don't really have high flyers in this match like they normally do for an elimination chamber. They don't have small guys like they normally do. So Logan Paul is really, and Kevin Owens, I guess, because he does do a lot of uh, jumps and leaps and things like that. Those are really the only two guys that are going to do high-risk moves. Otherwise, without them, this could be a ground-based, maybe kind of boring chamber match. Again, Lashley LA Knight, these aren't guys you think about when you talk work rate, right? So I'm real curious to see how this delivers, but I'm expecting a lot of highlights from Logan, probably KO. And again, McIntyre winning the entire thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, you laid pretty much everything out there. My my pick is McIntyre as well. The, The only two things I'm looking for is McIntyre winning and how they can set up LA Knight, Logan Paul. We've been wanting it since Money in the Bank last year. I'm hoping that they will continue with that and not have pushed off Kevin Owens, Logan Paul, the WrestleMania or something. Mm-hmm. I think you have Logan Paul eliminate Kevin Owens here to maybe close that book, probably cheating. And then either L.A. Knight eliminates Logan Paul to give him to set up him getting a shot or Paul does something to L.A. Knight or costs L.A. Knight.
0: Pulls him off In a pinfall and steals it from him. Something like that. Yeah. yeah.
1: Something like that. I, I I'm, I'm, I'm really waiting for that moment. Cause I really want that match to happen. And I think it'll, it'll be incredibly hot and the back and forth between them will be amazing. So if we get that moment, I will go nuts. So I'll, I'll be looking for that as well.
0: And your predicted winner. McIntyre. All right. Let's move to the women's elimination chamber. We have Becky Lynch, Bianca Belair, Liv Morgan, Tiffany Stratton, Naomi, Raquel Rodriguez, and she, of course, got in by virtue of that battle royal. So on Raw, Becky praised the hot crowd, saying there's not much left that she hasn't accomplished in WWE, but fighting in the chamber will be a first, and she needs to do it to get to the Ripley match that they've been teasing through stare downs at odd intervals throughout the year. She literally said that, just in better words than I did. Lynch succeeded in getting Ripley booed by mentioning her getting propped up by Judgment Day, calling herself Rhea's biggest threat because she's the best she's ever been. Becky then put over all the competitors in the match before Liv Morgan interrupted, saying she doesn't care about being the best in this case, she just wants her revenge. Morgan recounted her entire relationship with Ripley, reminding Lynch that she was the last person to actually pin her. Out came Rodriguez, saying she's the only one big enough and strong enough to take down either Ripley or Nia Jax. Out came Naomi, to a huge pop, saying her return is about proving she belongs at the top of the division. Out came Stratton, saying that they're all in the past and she's the future. Finally, out came Belair in regular heels and a bodysuit, getting a big reaction from the crowd. Look good, but she's got me saying, hey now! Stratton and Air went at it, and there was a funny moment where Tiffany and Liv started fighting. So the others just shrugged and then started fighting each other because they're like, they're all baby faces in this match. So they're like, all right, we might as well brawl too. Suddenly, Nia came out of the crowd and just destroyed all six of them, but in a way that made sense because they were all distracted. So she caught all of them blindsided, sneak attack style. I made this reference, or I make this reference all the time, I should say, Chris. This was like one of those SNL segments that's really damn funny, except they just don't know how to end it. So they basically said, hey, you know what? Just bring Nia Jax out. Let her kill everybody. That's basically what happened here. Stratton was, I don't want to say she was the MVP, but she was pretty impressive being able to stand up as the neophyte. And the lone heel in the segment against all those baby face women. I was just impressed with what she got. Jax, she needs that build as much as possible to show that she's actually a threat to Rhea. And doing this, did it make the other women look slightly worse? Sure. But it made Nia look better. She is the big featured spot on Elimination Chamber. She might have a big match at WrestleMania for all we know. So this whole thing worked for me at the end. I tell you what. Weirdly, I hated this. Like all wow. of wow,
1: interesting. I, I I just doing the the promo
0: parade. It's like formulaic,
1: yeah. And everybody just kind of rolling their eyes about it, and Becky kind of saying, "Ah, oh, sure, come on out here." It just took away any like juice for it. I I I, I was like, "Oh, this is it. These are the people, and they're not like." I don't, it just it lacked that energy until you know the fight at the end was good and then I was glad that Nia came in and we got to remind her oh yeah she has a title match she beat Becky Lynch she should stand tall so I'm glad that happened but I'm gonna give this a bad it just it felt very basic and formulaic and I actually thought took away from the match
0: well it's not a good bad ugly segment but I will still take that grade that's I guess fine we're not doing that. no, <laughs> different segment but that's okay I mean I agree that it was formulaic because we get one of these every year. Just like if it's a ladder match, like, a, like Money in the Bank. You're gonna have two of them. You're gonna get one segment like this every single time. But I'm okay with that. That's part of wrestling, it's-, it's it, I I, it's I like, think what it is, is it was
1: like, there was very little interaction between everybody before this, about this, in part because we've had Becky multiple times say, me and Rhea Ripley at right. WrestleMania, you know? And
0: like- they delayed starting the qualifiers because for whatever reason, like the women's qualifiers should have started two weeks after the Royal Rumble. And they started like yeah. four weeks or three weeks after. And that I think that played a role into it as well because once you have people start qualifying, they can start having matches themselves. All we really got was that one backstage segment on SmackDown, if you remember I mentioned it, with Aldis in the locker room and the contracts and like mm-hmm. Liv Morgan and Bianca Belair were back there. We didn't see them. We haven't seen them on TV interacting, so they just shoved it all into this segment, basically.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, okay, process of elimination, as you guys know, I always do it when it comes to multi-person matches like this, and I just did it over for the men a moment ago. So, Raquel Rodriguez just returned. She ain't winning the chamber. Tiffany Stratton just debuted on the main roster. She ain't winning the chamber. That brings us down to a final four of Becky Lynch, Bianca Belair, uh, Liv Morgan, and Naomi. And I actually believe Look, Unlike with the men, Chris, you could make cases for all four of them. No, I'm saying you can make cases. I'm not saying that I we you couldn't, we all know who's gonna win the match, but I'm just saying Becky Lynch is winning this match. She's been telling us this
1: for months. <laughs> okay, if but if I go through the process, I go through the process, and anybody else has a chance.
0: So I'll do it though, anyway. So Naomi, she just returned, she's hot, she's super over. You could put her in that match. Liv Morgan does have a legitimate revenge angle. Let's not forget the beatdown that Ripley gave Morgan. We talked about it as one of the hottest moments on Raw in 2023. It was exceptional. She's super over that, and she's the last person to pin her. That would make sense. Bianca Belair is Bianca Belair. For me, if you're gonna do Ripley Belair, you don't do it on one month build. That's the, like, I know Bianca's older than like many people think she is, but that's like the next huge women's match that does not involve any of the four horsewomen. You don't do it on one month build, period. Becky Lynch, they've been building to for an entire year. It's Becky Lynch. We all know it's going to be Becky Lynch. I wish they weren't as blatant about it over the last couple of weeks. But at the end, Chris, we're going to get Rhea Ripley-Becky Lynch. That's the match we should have. That's the match we thought might main event night one. And it's the best possible match that the WWE women's division can make right now. Yeah, it's just...
1: like I understand why they did certain things, but... We've had, what, two or three Becky Rhea face to faces already, including the one in Las Vegas. Like, I don't know. Did did you need to do that? Like the the story, the story very much went from Becky trying to get to the top again to just Becky wants Rhea, you know, and, and specifically wanting Rhea as much as wanting the title. And so, yeah, there's no there's no drama here, you know. It is what it is. Becky's winning. I think. I think this will be. I think this will be a good match. Probably
0: better than the men's match. I think. With the, I think so, with so the too. Women involved. Yeah. So um, I, I am looking forward to it. I'm actually of the belief. So this, I think, will be the match of the night. And let's not forget the women's Royal Rumble was better than the men's Royal Rumble. But my question is, what main events? Because I think it should either be this match or the women's world championship, which is Rhea Ripley against Nia Jax. So let's go talk about that right now. On Raw, there was a split-screen interview with Ripley putting over the massiveness of this moment for her, her first time wrestling for WWE in Australia, first time wrestling there in seven years total. She put herself over as the most dominant woman in WWE. Jack said she's twice her size and triple her talent, I would argue with that math. Uh, And she promised she would make Mommy go crying home to Mommy. Rhea talked about having all the fans behind her making Nia's nightmares a reality. It was all it needed to be. Not sure whether it's going to main event. It certainly could. And I think it should. Here's a fun fact, Chris. I did not realize until Monday night. And I doubt they even mention it on television. Nia Jax was born in Sydney, Australia. And she is of Australian descent along with her Samoan ancestry. I legitimately had no idea. She grew up in Hawaii, but she was born in Sydney, Australia. Found that to be immensely interesting. How so, did they how have they not told us that? Because I don't think they want anyone even possibly rooting for her. Maybe they do it on the build to the, the match on the show. <laughs> I, they, they don't promote her as Australian, obviously. She she like Naya comes out and says, Yeah,
1: I was born in Sydney, Australia, and I got out of there because I hated that place.
0: You were like, right. Why wouldn't she do that? Yeah, right. Like, yes, that would easy. make sense. So I thought that was a real fun fact. I'm shocked they didn't mention it. Rhea Ripley is not losing the women's world championship in Australia to Nia Jax 50 days before WrestleMania. I think that's all that needs to be said here. But what did you think about the segment on raw?
1: Um, good stuff. Yeah. Th- this to me, I agree that this should main event the show. Mm-hmm. I think WWE probably realizes that bad bunny should have main evented backlash last year. Exactly. Um, Obviously, Sami Zayn did main event Elimination Chamber last year. Uh, she's the star. She's half the reason they're doing this show, I think, honestly. Um, and yeah, it's the only title match. Oh, I'm sorry, there is a tag title match, but who cares? Mm-hmm. Um, th- there isn't a, a there isn't a singles. There is not a men's singles match on this card. Correct. So. I'm sorry, there's only one singles match. This is the only singles the match only singles match. match on the- oh, well, as of right now. Yeah.
0: Right, yes, correct. As
1: of right now. Yeah. Um. So yeah, th- this has the main event. You give her the moment. It's going to be really interesting, though. She is the conquering hero there. And when it's her and Becky, presumably, that like kind of face tweener dynamic will be really interesting to see the fans go back and forth on it. Uh, but I'm looking forward to this. You give Rhea Ripley... The big slam, you know, the finisher, which she has struggled to get nigh up before. Mm-hmm. Boom, there you go. You end it. With, what, when is the last time a women's uh, We may not know. I often, have the answer. When is the no, last, I, ha- I know. Okay. Yeah. When is the last time a women's match or a women's singles match main event in the show, not counting
0: Evolution, the women's? Yeah. Pay-per-view? So the answer, if I mean, it's, you know what the answer is. You just haven't really thought about it. The answer is WrestleMania 2021, Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair. It's the last time it happened.
1: Oh uh, well, I guess I guess Night One technically. I yeah, guess Night
0: that's One. True. That's that's a main hey, event of the show. It Technically
1: counts. It technically counts. If you don't yeah. want that,
0: then it would probably be Elimination Chamber 2020. I think the Shayna Baszler that, match was that. The, was it. The final match of the show. Pretty sure. Uh, there's only been, mm. as far as I remember, on the main roster in WWE, there's only been 10 main events featuring women. And one of them, obviously, was evolution. So nine for a male and female regular show. Um, Sasha and Charlotte, Helena Cell, 2016, the 2018 Royal Rumble, which I think was the first one. Um the awesome TLC match between Becky and Charlotte Flair and Asuka in 2018, oh, yeah. that was uh, great. WrestleMania 2019, yep. WrestleMania 35, Becky and yep. Charlotte, Ronda Rousey. There was the Survivor Series match with Becky Bailey and Shayna 2019 pre-pandemic. Uh, Becky and Charlotte against the Kabuki Warriors for the women's tag team titles. That was also at TLC 2019. I want to say and. I believe there was also the men's and women's ladder match for Money in the Bank during the pandemic, which is both of them, but they were okay, all they were yeah. ongoing simultaneously, but that kind of counts as well. And then Sasha and Bianca. Yeah. So this is going to be however you want to count it, the ninth or tenth time, if it happens. And I think it's a great opportunity for them to do it. It's a huge title. She's the top woman in the company right now. We love Becky Lynch. I've called Becky Lynch the greatest of all time. And the best on the mic and all that. It's true, she's super over. Rhea Ripley today is more over than Becky Lynch is and will be, especially in Australia. So I've been giving you this booking for like a, I don't wanna say a year, six months at least. Uh, Rhea Ripley retains the title. Becky Lynch comes out after they do the stare down. That is how Elimination Chamber ends. Makes all the sense in the world. Yep, agree. All right, so that is our ultimate preview for WWE Elimination Chamber, which means, Chris, it is time for us to give our pre-show expectation grades. Just a reminder that you need to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We will post the pre-show poll Friday night immediately after SmackDown. We usually do it an hour before the show begins. Instead, we're gonna do this one Friday night after SmackDown. We'll also have a post-show poll once Elimination Chamber goes off the air. We're probably gonna have to set that one for like four hours. That way people have enough time to actually vote in it. Uh, But nevertheless... Uh, we will have all of that for you on Friday night into Saturday. Chris, what is your expectation grade for 2024 WWE Elimination Chamber? Man, this one's hard.
1: It's like a Royal Rumble card, but it's Elimination Chamber matches instead of Rumbles, which are just usually not as good. I'm going to say B+, but I think I could easily see that get to an A-, but I'm going to go B+.
0: I completely agree with you. It's an extremely short card which, was it, four matches? So four matches, you get Cody and Waller, we get five, let's make the assumption that happens. And the biggest stars in the company, with the exception of Rhea Ripley, for the most part, are not wrestling on the show. Becky Lynch too, I'm sorry. But in terms of the men, at least, the biggest male stars in the company are not wrestling on the show. It's very much a B show, despite it being in a stadium. I think the spectacle is gonna be fantastic. I think the response from the crowd is going to be awesome. I think the women's chamber match is going to shock a lot of people, how good it is, how well-booked it is, and I'm in complete alignment with you. B-plus going in, that's giving credit for WWE usually exceeding expectations, and the ceiling is most likely an A-minus on this show. And to be able to do that a month before WrestleMania, that should absolutely be considered a success. Now, we do still, Chris, have the last word here. Before we get to that quickly, I just want to do a quick... Review of WrestleMania. I mentioned earlier in the show, it only really feels like there's so many matches that we can say are definitely being booked for the card. And last year at this time, it felt like we knew 10, 12, 14 matches. Right now, I have six that are listed. So tell me if you have any disagreements with these, and then we'll wrap up the show. Undisputed WWE Universal Championship Roman Reigns and Cody Rhodes, Women's World Championship Rhea Ripley and Becky Lynch, WWE Women's Championship EO Sky and Bailey. World Heavyweight Championship, Seth Rollins, Drew McIntyre, maybe Sami Zayn, U.S. Championship, Logan Paul, and LA Knight, and then Jey Uso against Jimmy Uso. As of right now, that's all I can tell you is seemingly set for the show.
1: Yeah, no, there's a lot to figure out, potentially that tag team match we mentioned as well. Um, So yeah, there's a lot they need to figure out in this last month, and a week, month, and two weeks, which will... This be good or, or not good. I'm, I'm not sure. The builds to Mania are inconsistent. Um, but all the, all of those you listed are like big time, big time stuff. And that's ultimately what a show is judged
0: on. So it's a pretty good starting point. Those are your opening, mid-show, and main event matches for both nights. The question mm-hmm. is, how the hell do they fill the rest of it in? Because you ain't doing two nights of WrestleMania with only six matches. So that is what we'll figure out. Chris, let's go ahead quickly wrap up this show with the last word. So DJ, take the needle and just drop it on the record what? we have in a second That's why we always save the best cut last, to make you for it, like fresh cut grass. let's go quickly here because hopefully this is the last two and a half hour show we do for a long time I don't know what has happened recently but we've just been going crazy you guys are listening to it so we absolutely love it uh but we'll try to get back to that 90 minute mark that we were hitting so consistently for the better part of the last year, BITW at NBA Judser wrote in, what wrestling characters in today's WWE would thrive in the Attitude Era? It's a really good question. I'm not going to include any women simply because I would have to contextualize it as the women being able to succeed in that era. And that era required different things from the women than certainly they can do now. And that's a lot more. So here's things that, sh- things that shouldn't have been required. And things that shouldn't have been required of them. Correct. So here's my quick list of what I was able to come up with while we were taping the show today. And I was just jotting notes. Gunther, he works in any era. He'd probably be a little bit more of a foreign heel, unfortunately then, but he yeah, would still work. I, he's one of the guys I think wouldn't. Oh, because I disagree. He, he's not an outlandish
1: guy. I mean, I guess you just lean into I'm German or Austrian and do all that. Whatever. It'd be very it'd be no, nowhere near as good as he is now. It'd be a much worse gunther in the attitude there.
0: Yes, definitely worse and definitely different. I just think he would work. Uh Kevin Owens, undoubtedly, if you've ever seen his PWG stuff, he works blue. He would be awesome. Uh the Usos in their later form, not the face paint form, but what we've seen from them over the last, you know, 5 years or so. Drew McIntyre, Braun Strowman, Finn Bálor, if you've ever seen him as Prince Devitt in New Japan, you would totally understand that la night just based on the mic work and that's kind of where my list ends right now that's who i could think of off the top of my head two two came to mind i didn't want to
1: give a big long list two came to mind la night for the reasons that you said he, he's a walking attitude era mm-hmm. homage he'd be great be, be nuts imagine the signs for la night oh the yeah attitude era. for sure god um and then the other is uh grayson waller
0: yeah uh, he is yeah
1: that dude is quick on his feet and it's why I'm so frustrated. Like I've interviewed him once. He's very, he can react to things in real time. If you watch him on those morning shows and stuff, like he can lean into it and be a real D bag. And you put him in the attitude era. I think he would absolutely thrive. It's uh, why I've been frustrated. We haven't gotten much from him and mm-hmm. that it's been the basic stuff. Cause I think just really talented dude uh, attitude era would
0: be great for him. By the way, I also think like, unfortunately comedy wise Otis would work. And oh yeah sammy Zayn. they could probably do him, not in an exact mick foley type of situation but i just feel like sammy he's so good from a character standpoint he could make anything work and he'd probably succeed there as well so i mean you you've
1: got otis doing he he, he looks like rikishi and he's doing the scotty too hotty worm already he yeah fit in like a glove. and
0: doing stuff with women you know they do they'd have all the women be all over him so like it would definitely work with him. There's no question about that. All right, folks, that wraps up our WWE Elimination Chamber Ultimate Preview Edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. As mentioned, we will be back on Thursday with your NXT and AEW show. And then Saturday morning, as soon as Elimination Chamber goes off the air, vintage Chris Vanini and your boy, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. We're gonna crack a cold one of something, do some day drinking, because we're gonna have your WWE Elimination Chamber instant analysis, likely before many of you even wake up. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you have not already. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. Also, so you can vote in those pre and post show polls and you can send DM and tweets that we will try to read right here on the show. Please also remember that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is all about Define. so leave those five star ratings for us on apple podcast and spotify on apple take a little extra time leave a five star written review if you do we will read it live right here on the show just as we did earlier and please also remember i happen to love the number five and i hope you do as well because for five dollars a month or 50 for the entire year you can become an official getting overhead just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over sign up you get instant reaction audio news posts and much more look out for that elimination chamber go home show coming friday night for free another two and a half hour episode we love doing them for you Hopefully everything calms down as this road to WrestleMania continues. We can get right back into that sweet spot of 90 minutes plus that we love to bring you right here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast for Vintage Chris Vannini. This is Silver King, Adam Silverstein, signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.